1: everybody welcome to this episode of true crime and cocktails we're so glad that you're here as always i am your host lauren ash and as always i am joined by my co-hostess with the most s christy oxborough how you feeling i'm doing great oh good i'm jazzed to be here i don't like how my hair is laying under the cans but other than that they were just cans um (laughs) well listen i am i'm jazzed that you're jazzed yeah
2: how could i not be jazzed getting to hang out with my best gal yep Chatting about, I mean, I'd say murder, but
1: some of these we don't know if it's murder. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Well, listen. But bef- uh, I was gonna say before we get into it, obviously, before we get into it, we've got a lot to talk about before we get into it. Um. Can you imagine if we just went? Okay, great. So on the show. Yeah, I know it wouldn't be us. Unless no. it's me who's researched and I have three and a half hours worth of material to get through, <laughs> which has happened. So that's, that's, that's Well, real.
2: Even then we at least a cup like a, five minutes.
1: Yeah. Like a quick fiver. Yep. Now here's, a, I want to play just a quick little game with you right off the top. Oh, I can't wait. Um, so I recently had to fly to Canada, uh, uh, which is a, a story for another time. But um, in the airport... On my way back, I was perusing the chocolate bar section. Oh. Okay. And I purchased something that I just consumed right before we started. Sure. And I don't think that in a million years you would be able to guess which Canadian chocolate bar I purchased. Okay, so this was purchased on the Canadian side. Correct. Correct.
2: Do I get any hints other than it's a Canadian bar? It's just a, I would never guess.
1: You're, you, I do, I could be wrong, but I don't think, I think it's going to blow your mind. I think you're going to be like, I had no idea that you even cared for those. But it's, I'll give you one hint. And I want to okay. see if j- by just me saying it's Canadian, mm-hmm. you'd never see it coming. And one hint, I want to see if you can get it. Okay. I would say that traditionally. <laughs> yeah. I would call this a chocolate bar for the elderly. (laughs) I I
2: love that. Oh, I love that.
1: I'm like, I don't even
2: think that's Canadian. Uh, I love, first of all, before you said that, my gut instinct uh, was a crispy crunch. Um, Saying for for the elderly,
1: uh, an eat more? No, but if you've never put an eat more in the freezer before eating it, try that. I try that. Oh, it's good.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, No, this is something very basic. So basic. It's like Rolo. Oh, no. Rolo's jazzier than this. (laughs) Oh, Um, I don't even know. Maybe you won't even get. Maybe you don't even know about these. That could be the other thing. Oh, that is true. What do I know about Canadian chocolate? Um Well again, this is something that typically older people tend to purchase. So I don't know that you Yeah, I don't know that we've ever talked about it. Oh, well, I mean it's more than
2: possible. Um I mean, we've talked about coffee, crisp. We talk about them all the of time. Course. Um Arrow, I think, is Canadian. Yeah, it isn't is?
1: It? And um, some of them are also available in the Commonwealth in the UK and Australia and stuff like that. But a crunchy? No, but I do love a crunchy. But that's also okay. jazzier than this. Think about what do old people love? In I their- was like a toffee.
2: I get stuck in the dentures, though. Well, yeah, you know, I was thinking like a hard, like a hard, like a oh, I'm I'm, I'm miming a Werther's plastic as a taken out of yeah a Werther's original.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to just end it and tell you? I I'd like another hint. One more hint. somehow. Okay. Yeah. This a big Turk. <laughs> no, those, I do not care for those. I do not care for those. maltesers teasers. Uh, no, but shout out t- to Mother Laurel, who loves those. The joke is, I was just going to say my dad. Yep, Whoppers. Whoppers. <laughs> also, th-
2: absolutely. Yep yep, 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 yep. Oh, God. Chocolate, more of an older fan. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Have they ever considered an older only fans where it's called older fans.
1: <laughs> There's something for everybody. They just talk um, about the things they like. Um, Yeah. Now, uh, listen, people are going to give me hate, I'm sure, when they're like, that's not for older people. It's for everyone. Obviously, I'm not suggesting sure. It's just my own perception of it is like, oh, like grandma would get these. Like it's, you know, that's what I associate <sighs> it with. It's, it's certainly <sighs> in North America. I think perhaps in the UK and stuff, this is not as, as a. Uh, Polarizing, but um it's uh there's a brand. It's a it's a very famous chocolate brand. Yeah. And then the name is not catchy. It's not catchy. Do you want okay. me to give you the brand and see if that does it? You can try. I'm not doing well at this game. It's a Cadbury. It's a Cadbury. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Cadbury. What
2: all does Cadbury make? I mean, it's, it's not a caramel,
1: right? I think you don't know what, I don't think you've even heard of I have a feeling these. I don't know. I think you would have gotten I, it by now. It's possible. It's, what it is, is it's a Cadbury fruit and nut. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah cuz I don't like raisins but the one place I like raisins is absolutely in a milk chocolate.
0: Really? Yep. This is again something we've never suck talked about. The
2: chocolate off and, like a spittoon. You know, I'm going to spit those raisins out.
1: Well, what's nice here is that it also has chopped up <laughs> almonds, not a full almond, so you're not going to chip a tooth. They're in nice little sure. tiny pieces inside. I love hey. these I saw this at the airport and I thought give it a go who knows whatever I just inhaled it I'm gonna when I go I back again that. I'm gonna get a hundred of those I'm pissed I also just got a plain carry milk a, a dairy milk milk chocolate thinking yeah. get one of each what was I thinking fruit and nut all the way all the way wow but have you heard of these before I have not yeah raisins and uh and almonds ha
2: huh. if you had told me pick a fruit and pick a nut that are in this chocolate bar that i enjoyed never would have like this feels like this feels like a meal like a guy's grocery games where he spun a wheel and it was like it's going to land on a nut and i'm going to spin a second wheel and it's going to land on a fruit and you have to make a dessert out of that Right. And then it would have been like raisins and almonds and the contestants would have been like, "Ah, I'm screwed. Yeah.
1: This, wow. Hey, I love this for you. See, I like that we can still learn things about one another. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. Now listen. I couldn't be happier. This this doesn't seamlessly transition into the other thing I wanted to tell you, but regardless. Sure. Here's the other thing I wanted to tell you. Um, (laughs) Sure. So I... I stopped at the grocery store on my way home today. Yeah. Because I was desperately craving one of our grandmother's favorite things, which is a toasted tomato sandwich. I got the cabbage fruit and nut. I'm having a toasted don't, tomato sandwich. <laughs> I am basically no you at all anymore. <laughs> I'm full British right now. Um, but listen, I've gone back to being uh, pretty hardcore gluten-free over the past couple weeks because I've been having some... I've been having some issues. I got lax. I got lax. It was like after a certain amount of time, I was like, I can eat gluten, no problem. And then I, I ate too much and I gave myself a like four day stomachache. So anyway, um, we're, we're we're resetting the system. So I knew I had some gluten free bread at home. I stop at the store. Now, granted, when Grandma would make these, it would literally just be toast, tomato, salt and pepper. That's it. Oh boy. That's it. Okay. But when I do them, I jazz them up a little. So, you know, of I course. I put a very hefty, <laughs> hefty serving of mayo on both sides of the bread. Of Not course. both sides, but both pieces of bread. Um, tomato, no salt. Where's the salt coming from for me? An extra old cheddar slice. Okay. That's salty enough if you ask me. So... <laughs> I I get my supplies, but I know that I have gluten-free bread at home. So I'm like, I don't need bread. Great. I get home. I discover that most of the loaf has gone moldy. Oh, no. There's two slices at the very, very end that were, were clear. And I was like, I'm going to roll the dice. Oh, <laughs> I really no. want the sandwich. Sure. But after I ate that glorious delicacy, all I wanted was another. So I messaged Christy and I said, can we push the record by a half an hour? I need to run out. She was like, of course. So I get to the grocery store that's not far from my home. And I grab, all I grab is a loaf of gluten-free bread. That's it. But as I'm heading to the checkout, something in the booze aisle catches my eye. And it's this. I'm not being paid for this, legitimately. I just saw this. Sure. It's called Endless Afternoon Hard Hard Seltzer. It's a vodka soda lime flavor. Hey. It caught my eye. This is very close to like the high noons that I like, but this is a new brand. Um, and I wasn't going to drink tonight, but then I was like, that looks nice and light. It's only like four and a half percent alcohol. I was like, I'll get those. Yeah, I'll get those. But I'm kind of on a timeline here because I've already pushed Christy to go later. And so... I get up to the checkout and they scan the bread. They ask for my ID. I do the, con- the the typical, which is like, of course you can. Like that dumb joke, right? Yeah, Like, oh, yeah, I look so young, huh? Doesn't mm-hmm. matter. They card everybody, Lauren. The point is um, she scans the barcode on the endless afternoon seltzers and it won't work. Oh, of course. And she's like, this doesn't work. It's not working. And she tries it many times. Mm. And and look, I'm saying, telling the story with peace and love, but but then she just kind of looks at me and I'm like, I don't know. And there's kind of like a manager type behind her and he's like, what's the deal? She's like, it's not scanning. So she does it again and shows him it's not scanning. Okay. And then he looks at me and I kind of make like, I don't know, and I was just about to get to the point where I was like, you know what? Forget it. Like, I I don't need them. You know, whatever. Sure. And then he says, "Well, was there a tag on the shelf?" And I said, "I, I don't know. I I didn't notice." And then they looked at me with a look that said, "Oh, oh, you don't read prices." I might be projecting. But listen, I didn't look to see. I saw the product. I was in a rush. I grabbed it. And I was like, does everybody... I don't know that if I did a full cart of grocery shopping that I'd be able to tell you every price of every item I put in that cart. And if there was a tag on the shelf or not, I don't know. I'm there for what I'm there for. And then he goes, well, do you at least know how much they cost? And I was like, sir, I'm sorry. I don't know. And I don't know what to tell you. And then with the speed of a lame three-legged horse... That man slowly meandered over to that and, and I but saying nothing. So then the gal, who ultimately is blameless in this, looks at me and goes, Well, I guess he's gonna go find out. <laughs> and I said, I guess so. And then he's I see him wandering back. And he's looking at his phone as he's wandering back and he goes past us. And then he comes back again and goes past, again, with the speed of molasses, like just, and then finally he realizes, oh, wait, that's where I wanted to go. And then he comes over and he goes, I don't know. I guess there was no tag on the shelf. So then he goes, just put it in his random liquor and charge her $9.99. Now, this is the best part of the story because who knows how much these things were supposed to cost. Maybe I got a deal. Maybe I got overcharged. I have no clue. The point is, uh, then she's like, okay, we got it sorted, whatever. And I've been using the tap function with my credit card lately. Sure. So I tap it. It goes beep, 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 beep. All the lights light up. And I was like, great. Put it in my wallet. Put my wallet in my back pocket. Didn't go through. Got it. Pull my wallet out. Get the card out. Tap it again. Boop, 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 All the lights light up. Great. Put it back in my wallet. Put it back in my bag. It doesn't work again. I pull it out again. And now they're looking at me again like I'm the problem. And, and I'm like, I, I have taken a three-minute shopping trip and I've been here 20. I've been here 20 minutes for this. So the point is, dear listeners, <laughs> let's have a go. You haven't even tried it! I haven't tried oh. it. I've waited till this exact moment so I can tell you in real time, was it worth all that? No, I'll be very honest. Don't love the smell of it. I'm gonna be that I'm right oh. off the top. Smells like clear. Kay. Let's see.
2: It's jank. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how which way that was gonna go. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe
1: it'll get better as I go. It's fine. It's fine. The mm. first sip did not taste great, but now it's, sure. it's kind of fine. It doesn't. Would it taste better if it was like ice cold? Maybe. I'm going to say something or that's going to sound criminally insane. The carbonation me. bubbles feel big. <laughs> High noons. It's very carbonated. It feels like little and like it's exci- This feels. This feels, I don't know, has the same energy as that man walking. Listen, I apologize to the Endless Afternoon people. Uh, You're obviously hard workers. I love the look of your logo and your product. Please don't tag them, anybody. Sure. Don't tag them. This isn't necessary. It wasn't for me. I won't make this a promo. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, You know,
2: a few weeks ago, I don't know what I said to you, but you you responded in the exact way I'm going to respond to you now. I can't wait. I don't know what's happened to you from last week to this week, but somehow you have aged 40 years.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm eating fruit and nuts. i mean, a- she, she wants her fruit and nut chocolate. And my toast just wants her simple toasted tomatoes. I mean. And now I'm complaining wow. about the bubble size in this. Wow. And hey, look, I have eaten like just a. <laughs> A raw tomato sandwich, I guess. I, it wasn't toasted, but I've had a, I've had tomato sandwiches in my life. Uh, I'm a fan of BLTs. Uh, but if you ask me to just like sit and eat a tomato or to just slap a tomato between some bread right now, I tell you no thank you. Sure. No thank you. But I love that you're like, you know what I want on this? A cheese. Yeah. And I'm going to say this. Because it's slightly embarrassing, and I say embarrassing things out loud on this show, because I often forget when I say it into a microphone, it's going to be heard by people. Sure. Uh, I have taken to, uh, if I have like a little piece of cheese on the side of a meal, I every single time I take a bite, you know that feeling you get when you've just had some cheese? I immediately say out loud, to myself, and I'm usually alone. I go, "Oh, this is what it feels like to eat clean." What a loser!
1: <laughs> eat <clean. laughs> well, also.
2: I mean, you just had tried a to... fucking piece of cheese that probably
1: wasn't good
2: for you. I was just gonna oh, say, I, I, weird. I mean,
1: the the tip. The, I think the traditional, uh, uh, you know, whatever <laughs> m- might be dairy free, but that's not the point. Like eating what eating <laughs> clean to you is, what eating clean oh, to you is. You know, like that's beautiful. Is, uh, There is a video going around
2: of a woman that's eating just chunks of lettuce. And she's like, have anybody ever tried lettuce chips? And she's like dipping it in a sauce and eating it. And I'm like, stop it. If you want to eat lettuce like that. Yes. You're having a broke ass salad. Good for you. Yep. Don't call them chips. It's a finger salad. Yeah. Don't call it chips. No. Oh, that. No, no, that's upsetting. Um. I think this year you and I have just, we're coming into our own. Yeah. We're accepting that maybe we have some likes that are a little on the older side. Sure. But also likes that go drastically the other way. So somehow we're like that person in the middle. Yeah. Where we have some older things we enjoy. Yeah. Um, you know, like silence. <laughs> 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 sure. Uh, certain programs. Yep. Um, and then on the other side, just like child's toys. Yep. And I don't know what I enjoy that's like in the middle. I guess booze. Yeah. But I don't even do that that often. But uh, yeah. Wow. I look. I couldn't be happier. I I love that you're like you know what. You thought of something that grandma would be interested in. And you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have one of those. And what a kick to the box to be like, I know I have it. I know I have it. Oh. And then to get home and it's like, surprise, shoddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. There it that. is, uh, TikTok. That's also a middle age. They, I know the younger tend to like it, but the, the middle age of us do as Of well.
1: course. Of course. Yeah. The uh, other, you know, grandma would also make me routinely, because I would go home for lunch uh, to her house when I was a kid. Uh, She would take a bun, like a nice fluffy bun. Oh, my mouth is watering. And she would toast it and then take it out of the oven and then put on tomatoes and then just the thickest slices of real cheese. And she put it back in there and she'd let it melt until it was like real like starting to brown yep and i i loved it i'll say this yeah
2: for decades uh we have been a home that enjoys uh like a whole wheat bread right that's our thing um every once in a while i get into a great a very specific grain bread not an like a very very specific uh like a one specific store makes this one specific type that I love and then all the others no thank you. But if you think I couldn't annihilate a full dozen white tray buns, you're kidding yourself. Just give me those and a vat of butter and I'm just
1: like that's my chips, lady. You know what I mean? Like I could (laughs) absolutely I have to ask a, uh, I'm assuming white, you mean as in white bread? But I'm yes. I guess what my question is: what's a tray bun? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. You'll,
2: you'll love this. You'll love this statement. I forget. Not everyone worked at a bakery. I was on cakes. <laughs> Still, so slow your roll, Christy. Um, essentially, it's just it's they're all kind of stuck together because they're baked in a tray. So it's like the little like a three by four of all, like, little buns. They're like these little squares, but you have to, like, tear them off each other. Oh, yeah. Because they're all uh, stuck together. Like, honestly, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite glutton things to do, get one of those barbecue rotisserie chickens. Oh, yeah. And get a set of those buns. The tray buns don't even use a knife rip those fuckers open chicken in the bun it's so greasy you don't even need butter. i'm the saliva i'm salivating also it's i could eat that happily yeah happily for a week yeah my family most of them are going out of town uh on a weekend coming up and i'm realizing i I might treat myself
1: to a rotisserie chicken and a pack of bun. <laughs> that is both the most joyful, amazing thing and also the saddest, the saddest. <laughs> I've ever heard. You should be yeah. able to have that anytime. <laughs> anytime. Oh, yes.
2: I could have it anytime. It's just, I mean, I guess really the only people in this house who would appreciate it and love it are potentially the two people who are the only ones going to be home that weekend. Right. So there's that. But then you also love, oof, and then I'll have to share. Christy! Just get two.
0: It's a whole
2: chicken. You don't need a whole chicken or a dozen buns. Because that's <laughs> the joke. It'll be like Home Alone. Where I'm just going to be eating rubbish and watching rubbish. And I'm going to be like, nobody can stop me. And I'm going to get sick.
1: Yeah, it's a I'm full raccoon day, so which are sick. always risky. They're risky, yeah.
2: It is. Look, I'm already plotting out activities for myself to keep myself
1: <laughs> busy.
2: It's like camp
1: weekend for myself. Yeah. I also just remembered very quickly before we get into it. <laughs> I love that this is this is like, I you're going to love this. I can't believe I haven't told you this yet. Oh, like, I can't wait. Shame on me. Yesterday or the day before? Yesterday, I had a crazy day, and it's, I've had a bitch of a couple weeks, and I decided to get myself uh, a little meal called uh, McDonald's for lunch. And oh. I went to the drive thru and I got, uh, now I recognize people are like, that's not gluten free. I take these supplements when I'm eating gluten. It's just that I'm trying to be more diligent. I'm trying to eat clean like Christy sure. with the cheese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, which is about as successful. Listen. Yeah. So, anyway, mm-hmm. um, I got a 10 pack, okay? Oh, And I come yep. home and I go, this thing is exploding. I look inside. There's not 10. There's not 11. There's not 12. There is 12 and a half chicken nuggets in there. Now, this one was, was it was completely, it was a full thing. Okay, was just so like, it wasn't a bite. No. Okay.
0: 12 and a half.
2: That's... Nice. Oh, that's the universe going. We're so sorry.
1: If I may. Yeah. To quote The Sound of Music. <laughs> I'm just I must like my brain have is done something good. Cuz here you are giving me 12 and a half chicken. My brain was McNuggets. running
2: through Sound of Music quotes. Yeah. I was like, what is she gonna say? I really thought it was gonna be, these are a few
1: of my favorite things. (laughs) Well, that one works too, but yeah.
2: Wow, I love this for you.
1: Yeah. Oh, perhaps I had a wicked childhood. It's a good song. (laughs) I'm so sorry, I'm just really into music now because I'm in a band. Um, Of course. Anyway, I can't believe I didn't text you this. We have sent no fewer than, like, hours of voice notes in the last day, and I never thought to tell you this. Oh, well, our voice notes are
2: are just, God, I mean, I sent you, like, three voice notes in a row, and then a text that was like, that was
1: just pure (laughs) nonsense, I'm. So sorry, (laughs) those voice our voice notes are more meandering than the beginning of this podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Oh, that just made the penny drop. Hey, your your voice note to me (laughs) that started off like our show. I truly thought that you accidentally sent me a clip of the show (laughs) because it was dead on for your like, what's up, everybody? (laughs) And I was like, wait, what? And then you went further, and I was like, oh, <laughs> there it is. She's doing the podcast bit that we do. Got it. Christy – Because, and, yeah, we uh, do a podcast bit. Yeah.
1: we As we've yeah. mentioned on the show before, Christy will send me, like, very lengthy voice notes, and I told her, I love it. It's my favorite podcast. So then she started opening each of the voice notes by going, what's up, bitches, or whatever. <laughs> oh, no, what's up, everybody? It's me, you bitch, Christy. Um, yeah. So then I did it today. But, yeah, I did do the exact intonation that I do on the show, so I could see that being confusing. It was so
2: perfect. I was like, oh, God, is there an error in, like, the sound or something? And
1: she's sending me a clip. I'm like, I don't. There it is. Got it. Got it. It should also be noted, I haven't stopped drinking this endless afternoon, so maybe I was too quick to judge it.
2: But you're also not going to (laughs) waste (laughs) $9.99. You raise a great point. (sighs) I mean, it's also, it's not just the money. I think at this point, it's more, you're not going to waste that 20 minutes. <laughs> <It> <laughs> the time that you spent there, you're like, no, this is an investment now. Yeah. I'm going to drink them till they're gone.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. <sighs> All right. Well, listen, let's get into the case. This, of course, is a Christie curated episode of the show. Always impressive work in these episodes. Of course, it's another in our missing series of episodes where Christie tackles a different state or province or region and tells us a bunch of unsolved missing persons cases from that area. This, of course, this week is missing Wisconsin missing Wisconsin. And what's nice about this is often the cases do not have enough information to be made full episodes. So this is a great way to shed light on unsolved cases that wouldn't normally get uh, a chance uh, on this or perhaps other podcasts. So yeah, here we go. According to the National Missing and Unidentified Persons Database, more than 600,000 people go missing in the United States every year. As of April 2023, there are 149 active missing persons cases in the state of Wisconsin. Christy has chosen to highlight eight particular cases to help shed some light on cases that might not normally make it to our show. So get ready for suspicious family members, frustrating disappearances, and even a serial killer as we delve into Missing Wisconsin. You know, I thought last
2: week having three serial killers come up. Uh, then maybe I'd have a day, right? Where it's not well. Rip the sheet down because it's <laughs> ah, zero zero episodes since I've mentioned a serial killer. There you go. And it's another one. Wow. Again, why are there so many? There's a well, yeah. And this one in particular. Holy shit! I had I. Everybody, I'm sure, has heard of this person. I had not. Horror show. I'll tell you that horror show. Well, so this is. Uh, they, they get it by now, but this will be a little bit different from our usual how it goes. From our usual how it goes. Wow. <laughs> I I was like, I'm not even half into this drink. I am. Oh, what you drinking over mostly there? Mostly into the. Oh, I don't want to brag. I'm having a Mike's Hard Lime.
1: I had some when I was in Canada recently. There. And I took. They. A- I took a photo to yeah. send to you, and I forgot. Now I'm remembering because apparently I'm 95 in the way that I do everything, including having no memory.
2: <laughs> well, you had to get home from your travels and make <laughs> your toasted tomatoes. Thank <laughs> Which you. Which I couldn't be happier for. Thank you. Uh, the thing I like about the uh, about the Mike's Lime, it's refreshing. Yeah. And you think it's going to be super sweet, but it's not as sweet it's, as you think it's yeah. going to be. It's, it's a nice... It's a nice balance. <laughs> I may end up having to go get uh, more. Again, they don't sponsor us. They should. They should. Hey, Mikes, <laughs> we mention your product on the show. I openly drink your product on the show occasionally. And I really would if I could get into them into down here. You know? Well. And I, I love, I've come so far, I wasn't even going to be. I wasn't even going to ask for a hat. That's 2 year ago, Christy.
1: Yeah, you've you've raised above that. Bitch
2: that bitch is that bitch is gone. Yeah. This bitch is like send me product. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because I consume it. Oh yeah. And I I I pay for it as it is. Like 7-11. I'm at your store daily. <laughs> daily. Yeah. And also there's those uh the the 7-11 days. I don't remember what they're called, but you're supposed to bring your own Cup? cup so you're you bring like something huge it has to be a certain within a certain time or size frame but you bring it fill it and it's a very specific price i never bring it because i always feel like i'm cheating them but then i'm also like
1: could i drink a full pail well again but how are you cheating them when it's their offer <laughs> i know <laughs> they, i know yeah I'm,
2: so unbelievably broken <laughs> that I don't want to try and save some money at a company that I give so much money to. Who, I might add, I got a bone to pick with. They used to have a system where every seven drinks, <laughs> your next one's free. Yes. It doesn't matter what size because mama likes the jumbo. <laughs> and those always, they always, whatever the size If you were buying multiple, the biggest one, most expensive one, was always the free one. So I was getting a free one every, like, few days, week, whatever. It was beautiful.
1: But they got rid of that. I believe you've told this on the show before.
2: And it's now it's just fucking points. (laughs) And you cannot get my size with points. That's dumb. What's the point? What's the point? What's the
1: point of those points?
2: You can't get the smallest and you can't get the biggest. Stupid. But you know what you can get? For I think four thousand points, you can get a four liter jug of milk. <laughs> and so when we're low, when we're a low on milk, I look at our points and I go, I guess I'll get one for free at 7-Eleven. It's a problem. So all I'm saying is, bring back the every seven cups.
1: Come on, come on.
2: I'm practically paying your CEO's salary every year. For Christ's sake. Yeah. Be better, 7-Eleven. Be best. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's all it took. Yep. I just need a little breakdown
1: over 7-Eleven, which is one of my favorite things in the world. I gotta get you those Crocs. People keep tagging us in them. Oh, I have heard of the Crocs. I'm writing yeah. it down. Oh, God.
2: I mean, how is 7-Eleven not just sending them? The amount of people who have tagged us in like, hey, guess what? Trying a Slurpee for the first time ever or the first time in
1: years because you mention them on the show so often. I guess what we could do is stop talking about them on the show as a protest. But that's (laughs) not who we are. No,
2: because we've openly said multiple times already just in this episode, whether they sponsor us or not, we'll talk about it. Yep. I mean, God, if the tray bun people reach out.
1: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Then we've made it. Then we've made it. Then we've made it. Then
2: we've made it. Oh, God. So, disclaimer, as always, this episode contains mentions of child abuse, substance abuse, and physical abuse. So trigger warning for those who need it. Ricky Jean Bryant, known as Jeannie was born November 9th, 1945, to Raymond and Opal Bryant, who also had two other daughters, Sharon and Elizabeth, and a son named Forrest. In 1949, Jeannie and her family lived with their grandparents, Casper and Helen Halverson, approximately three miles or 4.8 kilometers northeast of Mauston, Wisconsin. On the afternoon of December 19th, 1949, a fire broke out at the house around 3 p.m. Raymond, who worked as a truck driver, was on his way to Chicago. Opal was working a shift at a nearby garment factory, and nine-year-old Sharon was at school. I don't know where the fire started or what caused it, but the fire was bad enough that it eventually leveled the house. According to Helen, the grandmother... She claims she grabbed Forrest and Elizabeth and brought them outside before heading back inside to look for Jeannie. Helen said she ran through the house but couldn't find her, so she put a ladder against the house and used it to access the second floor through a window. According to newspaper articles, Helen then carried her husband down the ladder to safety as he was unable to walk He was later treated at the hospital for minor burns. According to Forrest, he claims that Helen took him, Elizabeth, and Jeannie out of the house, and she asked him to watch his sisters while she went back inside to save her husband. At the time, Forrest was just five years old. Jeannie was four. Elizabeth was 18 months. Forrest then claims... While they were sitting on the front yard, a fancy car pulled up to the house with a tall blonde woman inside. The woman told Forrest to go to the neighbor's house for help. However, the woman suggested that Forrest go to the neighbor further down the road as opposed to the closest one. When Forrest returned, the lady in the car and Jeannie were gone. The house that Forrest went to belonged to Irene Carlson, who followed Forrest to the burning house. Irene said that when she arrived at the scene, she put Elizabeth and Forrest into the family car before heading in the house to search for Jeannie herself. Once inside, Irene said that Helen was collecting canned goods in the kitchen. When Irene asked Jeannie, asked about Jeannie, Helen said, oh, Jeannie is gone. When Irene started screaming for Jeannie, Helen told her not to worry, and Irene could stop looking now because Jeannie was with relatives. The fire department arrived and was able to put out the blaze. An extensive search was done for Jeannie, but no sign of her was ever found. Possible bone fragments were discovered, but when they were tested, they were determined to not be human. When Raymond... Arrived home, he searched the house three times for Jeannie, but found no sign of her. Sharon later said that when she was picked up from school that day, her mother told her, Jeannie is an angel now, and she was asked to never mention Jeannie's name again. Oh my god! In fact, all siblings were later told never to mention Jeannie's name The only time they did was at the first Christmas without her, which was just six days after this fire happened. The parents put the star on the top of the tree, and they told their children that Jeannie was a star in heaven. And that was the last they were willing to speak of her. Wowzer. Raymond later told his kids he did not believe that Jeannie died in the fire, but Opal just refused to talk about it. And if Jeannie had died that day, why was there never a death certificate issued? And why didn't her family ever have a funeral? Years later, Opal had a headstone placed for Jeannie at a cemetery in Iowa where Opal's father was buried. Around 1959, Raymond and Opal got divorced and Opal moved to Washington, taking Elizabeth with her. Forrest and Sharon remained in Wisconsin with Raymond because, according to Opal, they were, quote, too much like their father. Opal would often return to Wisconsin to visit her kids, where Sharon said Opal would pick her up, take her to Minnesota, where she would leave Sharon with relatives for days without saying where she was going. Sharon later wondered if Opal was sneaking off to visit Jeannie. Jeannie. In 1985, Sharon, Forrest, and Elizabeth started to question what happened to Jeannie. They all remembered that prior to the fire, the family had very little money and no insurance on their house. After the fire, the family suddenly had so much money that Opal was able to afford a fur coat In 2005, the siblings went to the Juneau County Sheriff's Department and requested that Jeannie's case be reopened. Unfortunately, the records involved in Jeannie's case were destroyed in a flood in 2000. So there is no record of the investigation into Jeannie's disappearance or any records into the fire, and many people who were involved have long since passed. In 2006, a woman in Minnesota believed she might be Jeannie. However, a DNA test did prove that she was not. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released composite sketches of what Jeannie might have looked like as an adult in 2005 and 2012. I will post them on our socials, at True Crime and Cocktails on Facebook and Instagram, and at Not Detectives on Twitter. Uh, I love that I... uh, forgot what we were called on Twitter, even though it's literally written down. Twitter's become a mess. Yeah. I think we can safely say that. Yeah. When I scroll through, it's like, where's people I follow? What happened to that? <clears throat> I, I think we know what happened to that. Well, but like,
1: that's a crime in itself. We should cover it on the show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Agreed. In 2018, the siblings spoke with Opal's second cousin, Lois Kane, who outright told them that Jeannie did not die in that fire. Lois told them that if they kept looking, they'd be surprised at what they'd find. And by this point, Opal, Raymond, and the grandparents had all passed. So I don't know why Lois didn't outright say what she knew instead of being so cryptic. Because at this point, who are you hurting? Yeah. Just just tell them what you know. So did Jeannie die in that fire I doubt it. I feel like there would have been some sign of her when the house was searched. And if she had died, I don't believe the grandmother would have told the neighbor to stop looking for her. And I also don't believe the parents would have told their children to never say Jeannie's name again. Yeah. Was Jeannie kidnapped? It's possible. Forrest remembered seeing a woman in a fancy car who told him to go get help. Maybe it was some sort of Georgia Tan-type situation. I mentioned Georgia Tan briefly on an episode way back in, I think, season one. Uh, But Georgia Tan was essentially a child trafficker who ran a black market adoption ring in Tennessee in the 1920s and through 50s, I believe. Uh, Georgia would drive around disadvantaged neighborhoods and take young children from their front yards or go to the hospital and take infants who were born to unwed mothers and have the hospital claim that the babies died. It's so dark. Georgia would then, oh yeah, Georgia would then take these children and sell them to wealthy families, usually in New York or California. Some of Georgia's wealthy clients include actresses Joan Crawford and June Allison, and one of the kidnapped-slash-adopted children, grew up to be none other than professional wrestler Ric Flair. The children were given to families without any prior background checks, so in many cases, sadly, children were placed in abusive homes or sold for child labor on farms. Georgia was also known to mistreat the children in her care, often ignoring doctors' recommendations for sick children and denying them care and medicine. Many children were buried in a cemetery. Many others just weren't accounted for. It is estimated that Georgia was responsible for the deaths of approximately 500 children. And she was responsible for the kidnapping of over 5,000. Wow. In 1950, the state of Tennessee started an investigation into Georgia Tan. However, just three days before charges were set to be filed, Georgia died from cancer in September 1950. And while I'm not suggesting that Georgia Tan personally took Jeannie, it could have been someone like her. However, if it was a random kidnapping and a crime of opportunity, why wouldn't the kidnapper have taken both Jeannie and her 18-month-old sister? Why, While it could be easier to take the child who was likely potty-trained, a four-year-old would be more likely to tell people she's been kidnapped— as opposed to a toddler who can't fully speak yet. So then I ask, was Jeannie's disappearance less of a kidnapping and more of a paid transaction? The siblings remember having more money after Jeannie disappeared, enough that their mother bought a fur coat. It would also explain why the kidnapper only took one of the two children, and how the kidnapper just happened upon the house in the moment the children were outside. Yeah, yeah. It would also make sense as to why the grandmother told the neighbor to stop searching and why the parents told their children to never mention Jeannie's name again, because I would feel pretty guilty if I potentially sold my child. Yeah. But, uh, allegedly. Of course. Of course. Just speculating. But as of April 2023, Ricky Jean Bryant has never been found. Oh. Wow. I mean, again, that's part of uh, what drew me to do these at all is it's just wild how someone can just go missing and never be found. Yeah. And this to me, I I mean, we'll get into it, but.
1: I don't think she died in that fire. Yeah, I don't think so either. So. For the second
2: Wisconsin case, we're heading to Milwaukee. Uh Alexis Patterson was born April 4th, 1995, to Kenya Campbell and Ayanna Patterson. On the morning of May 3rd, 2002, Alexis and her mother got into an argument when it was discovered that Alexis had not done her homework the night before. As a punishment, Alexis was not allowed to take cupcakes for her class as a snack, which was quite devastating for her. Alexis's stepfather, Laurent, walked her to Highmount Boulevard School, where Alexis used the crosswalk and headed towards the playground at 8.20 a.m. Laurent headed home. When Alexis didn't arrive home after school, her parents waited an hour and then went to the school, where a teacher said that Alexis wasn't in class that day. The police were called soon after, and Alexis was reported missing. Alexis Patterson was described as an African-American female, seven years old, with black hair, brown eyes, and a scar below her right eye. She was wearing a light blue shirt with horizontal stripes, a red hooded jacket, and light colored blue jeans. She was also wearing sunflower shaped earrings and was carrying a pink Barbie backpack. Now, police believe Alexis intentionally walked past the school because of the argument with her mother Alexis was allegedly seen on the playground by her classmates before school, looking upset. Some of her classmates also said they saw a red truck parked near the school for days before Alexis' disappearance. The truck stood out because it was never seen dropping anyone off or picking anyone up. After Alexis disappeared, the truck stopped coming to the school. The vehicle and its driver have never been identified. Police conducted a grid search of the area, and Alexis's family, classmates, and teachers were interviewed, but no sign of Alexis was ever found. The following day, the search intensified with boats, helicopters, and more than 40 officers. At the time of her disappearance, Alexis's father, Kenya, was in prison. He was released three days later and fully cooperated with police and helped with the search, so police believe he was not involved in any way. On May 8th, Alexis's stepfather, Laron, failed a polygraph test. It is unknown what questions specifically he failed, but many seemed to be focused on his criminal history, so his failed questions may have had nothing to do with Alexis. For what it's worth, Ayanna took a polygraph. She passed. Of course, polygraph evidence is inadmissible in court in Wisconsin. A week after Alexis's disappearance, more than a hundred volunteers took part in a search called Operation LAP, which stood for Locate Alexis Patterson. Her case was featured on America's Most Wanted, which helped to bring in a few leads, but none helped find Alexis. On June, fi- June five, wow, that's where I'm at. On June fifth, 33 days after Alexis disappeared. 14-year-old Elizabeth Smart was abducted from her own bedroom in Salt Lake City, Utah. And sadly, what little media attention Alexis Patterson's case was getting at the time ended and the entire focus became Elizabeth Smart. For example, according to Medium.com, within the first two weeks of Elizabeth's disappearance, USA Today published three stories about her, whereas by that same time, USA Today had not published a single thing about Alexis. The FBI were called in the day after Elizabeth went missing and a $250,000 reward was offered. The FBI didn't join the Alexis Patterson investigation until three days into her disappearance, and it took 19 days before a $10,000 reward was offered. And of course, for those who don't know, Elizabeth Smart was found nine months later, being held captive just 18 miles or 29 kilometers from her home. I was going to name them, but I'm not now. The psychotic couple, yes, I've said it, who had her, uh, were sentenced to 15 years. Uh, The wife, or sorry, the wife was sentenced to 15 years, released in 2018. The incredibly psychotic and disturbing man, monster, more likely, um was apparently diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Since her abduction, Elizabeth has become an advocate for missing persons and victims of sexual assault, which I give her major kudos uh, for what she has done with her life.
1: Of course, yes. Uh,
2: On June eleventh, two 2002, police released security camera footage of Alexis and her mother at a store the night before she disappeared hoping that it would jog the memories of people who lived in the area. Then on August 12th, a Milwaukee TV station received a tip to search the Milwaukee River near Estabrook Park. Dive teams were brought in to search the area, but still no sign of Alexis. In May 2004, a local news station received a tip that an inmate currently incarcerated in Louisiana claimed that Alexis's remains Had been buried in the Baton Rouge area. No searches were done at that time. In 2016, a woman named Lisa from Bryan, Ohio, came forward believing that she was Alexis Patterson. Not only did the woman not remember her childhood, but she also looked so much like an age progressed composite sketch that was released uh, by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Ayana strongly believes that Lisa is, in fact, Alexis, even though a DNA test has proved otherwise. And finally, just some updates on Alexis's family. On November 22nd, 2013, her father, Kenya Campbell, was arrested for battery after an incident involving his eight-month-old daughter. On April 9th, 2003, her stepfather, Laron, was arrested for physically assaulting Ayana and threatening her with a knife after someone paged her, and Ayana just refused to tell him who it was. Six days later, Laron was charged with disorderly conduct. The couple eventually separated, and Laron married a woman named Michelle. On january nineteenth, twenty twenty one, Laron and Michelle both died of suspected drug overdoses. Oh dear. Since 2012, May 3rd has been proclaimed Alexis Patterson Forget-Me-Not Day in Milwaukee. And as of April 2023, Alexis Patterson's case remains unsolved. Oh, boy.
1: Wow. Well, let's go back to the top real quick. Jeannie, Ricky Jeannie Bryant. uh, First of all, Opal Casper. Two two great names in this case that I gotta just shout out because I'm a yeah. hundred and seven years old <laughs> today. Um, apparently, yes, exactly. Um, here's a question: You said that yeah. Helen was was found collecting canned goods. We know that the house yeah. burned to the ground. Was she? Did she go back into the fire to get the canned goods, or had it kind of simmered out at that? You might not know the answer to that, but I was just like, that's a strange specific to me. It is.
2: It was absolutely still burning at that point because, I mean, the fire department hadn't shown up yet and they supposedly put the flames out. So she risked going back in. Because that speaks to me to how tough or how tight money must have been. If she risked fire to go save canned goods. Save food, yeah. Yeah. To me, it also says volumes about she didn't think that child was in that home. No. Because why would her instinct be like, I need to save these canned goods instead of I'm going to find that child?
1: Well, and also, her story doesn't really make sense because she said, well, I took two of them out and then I went back in to get her, but then instead I got a ladder and rescued my husband. Like, what? Like so? And then I was rescuing canned goods? Like, very suspicious.
2: I understand that The witness in this case was five, but it's just, he remembers all three of them being taken out, and then he went to get the neighbor. And then the neighbor, who is an adult, had a conversation with Helen and was like, hey, we need to find her. And Helen was like, no, she's fine. Why would you say she was with relatives
1: well, it also, just- it, it also corroborates the 5 year old story, right? Yeah. Because while we don't know what the specific details, I'm just saying let's speculate that we're unsure if what he was saying was true or false. What we know that he was saying was true was that he ended up at that neighbor's house and that neighbor came back with him. So we know that that much is true. If he's, yeah. if he's explaining that much, why wouldn't we believe the rest of his story? 100%. Because why would he go to that house that's further unless an adult told him to? Why would he leave his siblings when he had been, inst- been instructed not to? But five is, I mean, listen, I re- I have memories. I mean, I have memories very young. I, I remember some things, you know, sure. but like three, four, but like five is not too young to not have full memories of things. Oh, 100%. And that's the other thing I was gonna say. Four is also old enough to have memories. But I guess if she was traumatized, it's also possible that her brain, maybe she doesn't remember the incident. um, Sure. But she would remember, I feel like a four-year-old is going to remember her family certainly in the moment, right? Like, if you take a four-year-old child, they know their family, they know their parents, they know their siblings, they know that they're not supposed to be with this other person. Unless it was a relative.
2: Unless it was someone they know. Yeah. Because that, The thing, and I mean, look, is, I'm just speculating, but is it, to me, it feels more than possible that if this family was really, really struggling financially, maybe there was a distant relative or family member or somebody that they were speaking with who was like, you know what, I would love a child. And they were like, we can't really afford the ones we have. And then the idea was dropped of like, I'll give you money and take I'm I'm also surprised they wouldn't take the youngest one that isn't going to remember anything.
1: I thought about that, too, which speaks to me going along with this theory. Yeah. It makes sense because a four year old has a little bit more of a personality potentially. Like, is it possible that sure. they knew the children which is oh, even sure. grosser because then it's like, we yep. like that one, which is oh, disgusting. Oh, thank you for but, that voice. Yep. Felt appropriate. Um, yep. But do you know what I mean? Like, is it one of those things where they had a fondness for this specific child and that's why?
2: It's possible. I mean, look, she was like blonde, blue-eyed, adorable. So I could absolutely see it. And I think it comes back to, and I have not said this a long time in the show, as a mother – um, I just keep going back to, is it because at four, she could probably go to the bathroom, feed herself, do these kinds of things. Whereas if she's going to a home that's never raised a child, being thrust an 18-month-old, I mean, good luck. Yeah. Where you have, if you have no experience, it's gonna, it's gonna be a learning curve. Yeah. And it's. I mean, there's a possibility that child isn't sleeping through the night. There's a possibility that child's still on diapers, like, bottles, all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, it could be easier to take the four-year-old. Or, as you said, it could be they knew the kid. Yeah. I want to know, does the brother remember ever seeing that car before? Was there ever, like, a woman who came to the house to, like, talk to them? I wanna know this second cousin who is like, well, if you keep searching, you'll find it. I wanna know what does she know? Just I that's also annoying to me to get like a we're looking for answers and her for her to turn it into like fucking national treasure. And like you have to solve the puzzle first. And it's like, no, just tell me. I know. Like you're not gonna insult the parents who are no longer with us. Just give us the information because what you're doing If you know the truth, Lois, what you're doing is keeping those siblings apart that much longer. Yeah. And to me, that means she knows exactly where that child is, and she doesn't want to get the people involved in trouble because they're still alive.
1: Yeah. It feels like that's the only explanation there, that there has to be somebody who's still alive that would get that that would have a vested interest in this not coming out.
2: It has to be.
1: Yeah. But at this
2: point it's like good god this happened in 1949. The
1: only other theory I have and it is dark and bleak so bear with me yeah. is is it possible because we hear it all on this show. Yeah. They were tight for money. Is it possible that the parents, one of the parents, especially during this time frame, got in with, you know, something like a mob uh, or or a lower level, you know, mafia situation or whatever? Is it possible sure. that there was something going on where they were in debt or, or you know, whatever? And then it was like, well, guess what, you know, we'll, we'll – will call the deal if you give us one of your kids like is it something like that where it's like there's some level of danger associated with the transaction which would then make this second cousin like I don't want to really get into it fully I don't know again that's a that's a pie in the sky but we're whiteboarding you know what I mean like because yeah it just feels like it just feels like at that point unless there was a threat you felt there was a threat to you In telling, whether it be you're you're actually afraid or it's just that these other people are still alive and that's uncomfortable. I don't know. To me, that's just the only explanations. But it also speaks to, like, if you keep looking, like, that they've been close all along, which is even sadder. Worse. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And something I've just thought of that I can't believe it took me this long to think about, I'm so convinced that – not only was Jeannie taken, but that at least the grandmother, if not the grandmother and the mother, knew that that was what was going to happen. And if that's the case, that means, that means that woman set the fire. Oh, yeah. She set the fire in her own house yeah. to cover the fact that that child went missing. Because she could have also been like, hey, why don't you guys go play outside? Because children often do that. I'm going to put the younger one down for a nap. You two go outside and play. Someone comes along, takes the child. But they don't want everybody to be looking for this child everywhere.
1: No, they had to make it look like a death. They
2: absolutely did. And the only way they could do that... Was
1: burning the house down, and I feel like if this, if the boy, um, the brother, I feel like if he has memory of specific, like I just feel like it, it is a trauma, and sometimes our brains protect us from remembering traumas. But as a five-year-old, if you all are in your house and it all of a sudden is on fire, I do also think that that might be something that you remember. And I do buy that he was like, no, the three of us got out, because it doesn't make sense. Let's also just get real about it. Every situation is different, but we don't know where the kids were in the house at the time, whatever. But let's speak generally here. For a grandmother to be like, oh, I'll just take two of you out and then go in for the third, he was five, He can take himself out. out. He can take his younger sibling out. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense to then be like, I'll go back in for her. Ah, I'll go get my husband who can't walk and carry him out myself. Most people, not to be crass, but most people are going to save the children before going to an adult. It's just the truth, right? Like it's just what we're like wired to do biologically. Yes. It just doesn't and then again the fact that she was like pilfering for cans when again then she's like and it's it's odd that it the story was being told, "Oh, never speak of her. She died." But then she said to that neighbor who was an adult, "Oh, she's fine. She's just with relatives." Like, I don't know. It's it's just all feels Way and too what creepy to me.
2: Excuse, what reason would the neighbor have for making
1: that up? None, right? And, and the that's fact something that it cor- you're gonna remember. Yep, and it's the fact that it corroborates the little boy's story. The Kids. Yep. Between the two well, of them, it's like, wow, fascinating. And it feels that's a fascinating it was
2: specifically, one. Specifically, specifically planned for that day. Yes, because the husband was on the road, right, like out of state. Because it was said when he got home, he personally searched that house three times himself. Whereas I never read anything about the mother searching that house. Yeah, no. And then if, like, the older daughter thinks that she would go off in Minnesota for days at a time without telling anybody anything, it's more than possible. She went to go visit people to go check in and see how Jeannie's doing. Totally possible. Which is horrifying to think about. Yep. Because then, like, I don't even—I don't even know what's that child's life been like. Like your mother kind of comes in. What did the mother tell happened about the other kids? Did she just never bring up the other kids? Did she tell her the other kids died, so she would grow up assuming they died? And probably they gave, like a new name and probably. So she has no memory of her old name. What I wouldn't give for an update that they have found each other. Yeah, that would be really lovely. Yeah. And then just like a, what happened? Well. Where have you been? I know. And I hope it's pleasant.
1: So do I. As pleasant as it could be, you know?
3: Oh, yeah. Wow.
1: Out of the gate, though. Crazy case. Wow. Right. Um, All right. Alexis Patterson. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Um, from the beginning, I don't trust the stepdad. Before you even said anything about the failed polygraph, and look, I know the polygraphs are not admissible. I know that they're not, sure. you know, there's, there's room for error in those, but something just didn't sit to me. I don't know why, other than, of course, just an instinct, and we know that oftentimes close family members are the people to look at first. Um, yep. Because I guess my other question is, if she's seven and she's young enough that she needs to be walked to school, but she walks herself home at the end of the day, that doesn't add up to me. Not impossible. I'm just pointing out the cracks that I see. Sure. And this was 2002. If a seven-year-old wasn't at school in 2002, I mean, if a seven-year-old wasn't in school when I was a kid, they'd call home. Yeah. Why was no one called? Why were they not called? I would love to know why they weren't called. That feels virtually impossible to me. Right? Yeah. Unless there was some conversation that would have happened where the stepdad goes in and takes her out, or a phone call was made that she wouldn't be there. Sure. Or she had a note, and she was there and left. But both of those things would have been covered by the school in the investigation following. Yeah. I also want to know, how many other kids weren't at school that day,
2: and were their families contacted?
1: Yeah, because again, if we if they've done enough of an investigation to know about the red truck, then to me that suggests yep. that they should have at least asked the school if like, well, it's it said it was like when they called the school, the school said she wasn't there. Is it possible they called and left a message and they didn't get it? Maybe I don't know. There's just something about that that doesn't sit to me, for, especially yep. for a child that young. If it's a kid, Boy, I agree. if it's a high school kid, that can get away from. I'm sure that happens potentially more, but a little sure. kid. Where there was oh, no, yeah. like, I just remember growing up, it was like, if you weren't going to be there, you had to send a note ahead of time or you had to call that day. Like, it was a thing. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent.
2: And they, like, if if mine aren't, there there has been times where, because I am who I am and I sometimes forget, um, where mine have been, like, one will be home sick from school. If I forget to call the school, I will be, receive a phone call within 10 minutes of school starting. Yeah. That is like your child has not is not at school. Right. And then, then you're just like, I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry. I should have called you first. But that's why so they have, have the system. Call. Yes. Yeah. And I love that system. That system's great. Please call yep. if my child is marked absent so I know yep. where they are. 100%. So I just want to know, did they call any other families that day?
1: Or did because they call them and leave a message? And again, they just didn't get it because of work or something. 2002, sure. you may not have a cell phone at that point. Right. So I guess it's possible if they didn't call your work number, if they just left a message, it's possible it could get past them. But I, that is a specific that will haunt me
2: oh, I am now going to be forever bothered since you mentioned it, uh, that she was walked to school but expected to walk home alone. Yeah.
1: And it's possible there was a system with other kids or whatever, but it's still, it just stuck out to (laughs) me.
2: It's odd. I mean, it is also possible where it's they trust her to get there and back, but the problem is she's a little slow-pokish. And will, like, take forever, and she needs someone to go with her to make sure she arrives on time, whereas, take your time coming home, that's fine. So I could see that, because I've raised some toddlers. Sure. Whereas if they're going to walk, they're going to take their sweet time, and it's going to take forever. Whereas if if somebody is walking with them, they will get there in a more timely manner. Right. So I could see that, but it is interesting that it was specifically walked her there but then didn't walk her home.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Was the stepdad supposed to pick her up and he didn't go? I don't know. I have a lot of questions. Um, Now, I just wanted to clarify one thing. So the father that you met, her biological father. Yes. At the end there, you said that he was arrested for an assault. Was it an assault against that child? against his own 8-month-old child. Yes. Well, okay. Well, then we have to take a step back for a second to which I want to say cuz he had gotten out of prison right before uh 3 days after. 3 days after she went missing. Yes. Excuse me. Never mind. I thought he had gotten out 3 days before and I was going to say, "Well, hold on a second here. If he has a string of violence against children, we have to we this has to come into the mix."
2: Oh, well, I mean, I mean, technically this violence happened several years later but that doesn't mean it wasn't there exactly there's a why he was in prison to begin with right but uh oh it's it's more than possible it could have been a i'm getting out in three days here's the deal go to the school and pick my kid up yes see my kid when i get home and she's not gonna let me so here friend in a red truck yep here's the school this is what she looks like Go sit there so you can see, you know, figure out the timing of everything. And then take her someplace and have her there for when I get out. And something goes wrong. Yeah. She fought back when she wasn't
1: supposed to. Right. Someone was trying to, like, keep her quiet. Something goes wrong. I mean, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, truly heartbreaking. Always so sad also when other cases become national news and outshine oh, the the things that are happening in that moment in certain areas. It's, it's heartbreaking always. Um, but listen, strong start to the episode, Christy Oxborough. Not that I ever doubted you yeah. for a second and never could and never would, but dear listeners, let's take a quick break, hit the can, grab another drink, and we're going to be coming right back with more in the missing Wisconsin episode of True Crime and Cocktails.
3: Sleeping Dogs now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie dot com slash wondery.
1: Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're of course discussing Missing Wisconsin. What's next?
2: Uh, well, what's next is I have to
1: let this clean eaten
2: cheese that I downed on the break <laughs> get, down, get down there. Uh, I'll tell you, when you, when you eat it quick, it feels far from clean eating. Yeah. I'll tell you dirty. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I I ate it so fast. I made myself hot. So I had to take my hoodie off. That's a problem. <laughs> that means it's probably not the clean cheese you thought it was. But to me, I was like, you know who made that? A good old fashioned farmer. There it is. You know what they mean by clean eating? Eat a vegetable. <laughs> good Lord, lady it's amazing i've gotten this far you're doing great for eating tomatoes i know tomatoes are technically a fruit but you know yeah what i wouldn't give if my peach could juice could just have like a fucking ounce of vitamin (laughs) what i wouldn't give okay so we've got three specific cases in this uh portion of the show wonderful We're going to start with Evelyn Grace Hartley, was born November 22nd, 1938, to Richard and Ethel Hartley. Evelyn was one of four siblings. Richard was born in 1928, Thomas in 1931, and Carolyn in 1947. Sadly, Richard, who was a member of the United States Navy, died in September 1946 from polio, At the age of 18 polio is a viral disease that affects the nervous system and spreads through direct contact with people who are infected there were two major outbreaks of polio in the united states in 1916 and in 1952 but thanks to vaccines the u.s saw its last case of polio in 1979 or that is until a case popped up in new jersey in july of 2022 I don't have time to get into my feelings on anti vaxxers, and I will get into trouble with people for saying this out loud. But just know I've got a lot of strong feelings about it. So, in 1949, the Hartley family moved from Illinois to La Crosse, Washington. Wisconsin, good lord, Wisconsin. My apologies. Uh, Richard worked as a biology professor at La Crosse State College, which is now known as the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. While attending Central High School, Evelyn was a straight-A honors student with an interest in science and drama club. On October 24, 1953, the night of the La Crosse State College homecoming game, Evelyn was babysitting for Professor Vigo Rasmussen, Vigo and his wife had a regular babysitter for their 20-month-old daughter, Janice, but the babysitter was also planning on attending that game, so Evelyn was brought in as a replacement. Mr. Rasmussen met Evelyn through her father because they were both professors at the college. At 6.20 p.m., Vigo picked Evelyn up and drove her to his home on the 2400 block of Hochler Drive, a newer neighborhood on the edge of town. After dropping Evelyn off, Vigo and his wife went to the game. Around 7.15 p.m., neighbors heard screams in the area, but thought it was just children playing, so they ignored it. Evelyn's parents had asked her to check in with them at 8.30 p.m., and when she failed to call, her father Richard tried calling her, but got no answer several times, so he drove over to Vigo's house When he arrived, Richard noted the lights and the radio were on inside, and both doors to the house were locked. He knocked on the doors, rang the front doorbell, but got no response. When he looked in the windows, he saw Evelyn's glasses and one of her shoes in the living room. Richard went around the back of the house and found an open window leading to the basement. The window screen, which had been removed, was leaning against a wall of the house and a small stepladder was set up directly below in the basement, uh, inside or directly below the window inside the basement. Vigo had been using the ladder while painting the basement, uh, within the days leading up to this. Richard entered through the window and found Evelyn's other shoe at the bottom of the stairs, He searched the house but found no sign of Evelyn. Vigo's daughter, Janice, was sleeping in her crib, completely unharmed. The living room was a complete mess. Furniture was upended. Evelyn's school books were scattered on the ground. Richard noticed that Evelyn's glasses were broken and there appeared to be blood. So he contacted the police. When they arrived, police noticed pry marks on three windows around the house, as well as multiple areas of blood, including two pools in the yard, one of which was 18 inches in diameter. Another pool was under the basement window, and a bloody handprint was on the wall of the garage, which is about 100 feet from the house. More bloody prints were found on the outside wall of a neighboring house the blood came back as a match to Evelyn's blood type. Because, I mean, DNA testing in the 50s is quite... I mean, this was kind of the best they could do. Yeah. Given the time. Shoe prints with a distinct pattern were found in the living room and in the window box that led to the basement. A button with red threads was found attached to the basement window. And since Evelyn was seen last seen wearing red denim pants... It is believed that the attacker took Evelyn out of the house through the window. Unfortunately, that button was not collected, and it uh, apparently it blew away in the wind while they were investigating the scene. Trained sniffer dogs were brought to the scene, and they followed Evelyn's scent two blocks, but lost the trail at Cooley Drive. Police believe the attacker may have had a vehicle parked in that area. Several neighbors said they had seen a suspicious car in the neighborhood that night. One neighbor said they noticed a light-colored car circling the neighborhood around 8 p.m., and two days later, a man man named Ed Hofer said he was out driving that night around 7.15 p.m. when he was almost hit by a two-toned green 1941 or 42 Buick he said a man was driving with another man in the back seat and there was a woman slumped forward leaning against the seat. That time frame also works out for the screaming that the neighbors heard. Several days later, a bra and a pair of women's underwear were found two miles or 3.2 kilometers south of Lacrosse near the underpass on Highway 14. Both had bloodstains on them, which were a match to Evelyn's blood type. A pair of men's pants, also with blood stains, were found four miles or 6.4 kilometers down the same road, but it is not known if they were connected to Evelyn's disappearance. A size 36 denim jacket and a pair of size 11 Goodrich brand running shoes were found in the uh, in an area of Lacrosse. Both had blood stains, which matched Evelyn's blood type. The shoes also had a similar pattern to those found at the crime scene. Based on the tread pattern, it is believed the shoe's owner worked with machinery and drove a whizzer motorbike. The idea that they could get that specific off of treads is incredible to me. Uh, Inside one shoe was a single human hair. Uh, It was also found that two people had worn those very shoes the second person's feet were too big for the shoes so i have a lot of questions and i do, from what i can tell they i don't know if they tested that hair or if they had that ability to or if they have since they've never said along the highway a jacket was found uh there was wearing underneath the armpits that ran a, along the entire width of the jacket similar to what would happen When you're working as a steeplejack, police looked into local steeplejacks but found no leads. Police took the jacket and the size 11 shoes to 31 different communities in the area, hoping that someone might recognize them. 10,000 people came out to view the items, but again, police ended up with no leads. Police conducted searches of local vehicles as well as recent graves. After a tip from a fisherman in Minnesota, Clam Lake was dragged, but nothing of significance was found. 2,000 volunteers came out to help search for Evelyn, including police, students, state college faculty, Boy Scouts, and the National Guard, but no sign of Evelyn was found. Evelyn was described as a Caucasian female, 5'7", around 127 pounds, with light brown hair and blue eyes, She was last seen wearing a white blouse with pearl buttons and red denim jeans with cuffs rolled up above the ankle. In May 1954, police conducted mass polygraph tests on all male students and faculty at Central High School, where Evelyn attended. Over 1,750 tests were planned, but they stopped after giving just 300. Many suspects were questioned, but none of the evidence could ever be linked to them. In the first year of the case, over 3,500 people were interviewed and dozens of people falsely confessed. But as of April 2023, Evelyn Hartley has never been found and her case remains open. Many believe that Evelyn was not the intended target of the abduction, but rather the Rasmussen's regular babysitter, making Evelyn just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And what makes that theory that much more heartbreaking is the fact that after agreeing to the babysitting gig, Evelyn wanted to back out, but her mother told her that she had made a promise and she had to stick
1: to it. Oh, boy.
2: Yeah. Nothing of value was taken from the home. um, So they assume it wasn't a robbery, but it could have been a robbery gone wrong. There were signs of attempted forced entry at a neighbor's house, and since most of the townspeople were attending that same game, it's possible that would-be thieves thought they could have their pick of easy targets, and then they were surprised when they found Evelyn in the house, and they took her so she couldn't identify them as thieves, although it doesn't explain why then they didn't take any valuables while they were there. Maybe they were in a hurry, as Evelyn would have likely made noise during the escape. It's also been suggested that uh, Evelyn might have been a victim ooh, of Ed Gene 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 mm-hmm. a serial killer known as the Butcher of Plainfield Gene was born in La Crosse Washington why do I keep saying Washington Wisconsin <laughs> the same place where Evelyn went missing I I don't have the time to get as deep into this In short after the disappearance of a woman named Bernice Warden in Plainfield, Wisconsin, in November 1957, police searched Gein's property and discovered Bernice's body hanging upside down in a shed. Her organs had been removed. Police also discovered that Gein had exhumed bodies from local graveyards and used the bones and skin to make various nightmare, fu- nightmare fuel, such as a garbage can made of human skin. Bowls made out of human skulls, masks and leggings made of human skin, skulls were put on his bedposts, and he made a belt from female nipples. Gein admitted that he had been to the local graveyards between t- 30 and 40 times, between 1947 and 1952, where he exhumed the bodies to make his items, we're going to call them. I think one of the worst things I read was after his mother died, he started to create a woman's suit out of skin so he could, quote, become his mother to literally crawl into her skin. Gein also admitted to killing Mary Hogan in December 1954 in Pine Grove, Wisconsin. While he was found guilty of Bernice Warden's murder, he was found to be legally insane and sent to a psychiatric facility where he died from lung cancer in July 1984. Gein was seen as a possible suspect in Evelyn's case, as according to the Charlie Project, Gein was in La Crosse on the night of Evelyn's disappearance, visiting relatives who lived just blocks from the Rasmussen house. No evidence has ever been found linking Gein to that specific crime. In the 70s, Evelyn's family moved to Portland, Oregon, Richard passed away in 1986, and Evelyn passed, uh, Ethel, sorry, passed in 2002. Evelyn's brother Thomas moved to Australia, where he died in March of 2016, at the age of 85. As far as I can tell, Evelyn's younger sister Carolyn still lives in Oregon. As of April 2023, Evelyn's case is classified as a non-family abduction, and it is being investigated as a homicide. She has never been officially declared dead, which I assume the family has to uh, be the starting behind that. But yeah, the next case for this section of the show, Rosalio Gutierrez Jr. was born April 10th, 1980. He graduated from the University of Wisconsin Parkside with degrees in sociology and criminal justice. Rosalio was a good friend and a loving father of two who was living in Kenosha, Wisconsin. When Rosalio didn't show up for work on May 18, 2020, his friends were suspicious. Police were called to Rosalio's home on the 3700 block of 15th Street to do a welfare check the following day. Both of Rosalio's vehicles were in the parking lot, but there was no sign of Rosalio. The door to the apartment was open and inside, police noted furniture had been moved around, and an area rug appeared to be missing. There were also large amounts of blood at the scene, which tests proved were a match to Rosalio Gutierrez Jr. Police believe that based on the scene, a struggle took place, and someone, likely Rosalio, was struck multiple times with an object. Three days later, police arrested Zachariah Anderson, the ex-boyfriend of Rosalio's current girlfriend, Sadie Beecham. Anderson was arrested for stalking after he allegedly placed a GPS tracker with a voice-activated listening device on Sadie's car. Oh, my God. During a search of Anderson's home, police found a cell phone which contained the GPS directions to Rosalio's home, as well as a photo of Rosalio's vehicle registration, which had been stolen from Rosalio's car on April 24th. Anderson's laptop revealed a folder entitled Rosalio Gutierrez Jr., which contained photos, screenshots from online court records, electronic maps of Rosalio's apartment, and his home address. Cadaver dogs searched the property at uh, Anderson's home and found remnants of steel-toed boots, clothing, and a burnt bottle of bleach in a smoldering burn pit. When police checked a farm owned by Anderson's family, they found another burn pit with remnants of a shirt that was the same pattern and color as one that Rosalio was last seen wearing. Anderson's vehicle was also searched. Police found a strong smell of bleach, as well as a section of carpeting, that had been cut out of the van's floor. Bloodstains found in the vehicle were tested and came back as a match to Rosalio. Security camera footage was found on Anderson in a Walmart in Soakville the day Rosalio disappeared. He was seen buying three cans of sardines, two boxes of 13-gallon garbage bags, two containers of Clorox, Clorox bleach wipes, and two boxes of latex gloves. I'm curious about the sardines. It was as though, is it you're hungry or is it a, this will make it seem less weird.
1: Well, I would have bought some more items if that were me to make it seem less weird. But yeah, I know. I thought the same thing. You Buy them all at different places. Like,
2: or you already had them on hand. I'm not trying to teach people how to get away with stuff, but like, you know what I mean? It's just, what are we even doing here? Yeah. Uh, In December 2020, Zachariah Anderson was charged with first-degree intentional homicide, hiding a corpse, and two counts of repeat stalking. Anderson pleaded not guilty to all charges, but in March 2023, so very recent, 42-year-old Anderson was found guilty on all four counts. His sentencing is set for May of this year. Oh, wow. But as of April 2023, Rosalio Gutierrez Jr., has never been found although I'm fairly certain we know why he was never found yeah Rosalio was 40 years old at the time of his disappearance he was described as a Hispanic male six feet tall 270 pounds with black hair and brown eyes and then there's the eerily similar case of Cassandra Aeon. It could be Ion. My apologies if it's incorrect. Cassandra was born September 1st, 1993, in Unity, Wisconsin. On October 2nd, 2020, Cassandra had lunch with her mother at her parents' house. Cassandra was seen leaving a friend's house in Unity around 3.45 a.m. on October 3rd. When she failed to show up at work on October 5th, a welfare check was done but there was no sign of Cassandra or her vehicle at her home. Cassandra's family and friends were immediately suspicious of Cassandra's ex-boyfriend, 42-year-old Jesus Contreras Perez. This fucking creep, and yeah, I'll say it, first started to pursue Cassandra when he was married, and Cassandra was in middle school. Nope. No. At the time, Cassandra would have been Roughly 13 or 14 years old, Mm. Perez would have been 28. Stop it! Vile is a word that comes to mind. And to be clear, I am not putting any blame on Cassandra. Perez was a fully grown adult and a fucking predator. Yep. After years of grooming her, Perez and Cassandra started a relationship. I don't know how old Cassandra was at the time, but I do know that she was under the age of 18. When she was about 20, Cassandra gave birth to the couple's child around 2013. The couple was on and off again with their last breakup in September 2020, just three weeks before Cassandra's disappearance. At that point, Cassandra moved into a home across the street from her parents in Loyal, Wisconsin, about 17 miles or 27 kilometers southwest of Unity. At the time of Cassandra's disappearance, Her child was staying with Perez for the first time since Cassandra had moved to the new house. On multiple occasions, Cassandra told her family and friends that Perez had been physically aggressive with her. And at one point, he appeared to be stalking her. When Perez saw Cassandra out with a male friend, he wrote down the friend's license plate number and did a search on his computer. He literally searched how to get address from license plate.
1: First of on, all, rookie move.
2: Oh <laughs> Second God. of all,
1: you can't without
0: a police computer.
2: But yeah, I was <laughs> on computer, sir. On that same computer, Perez also made searches for how to make a homemade silencer and what does a silencer really sound like? Oh. And then he also watched how-to videos on making a silencer. Perez also had a history of stalking other women, including his ex-wife, who had a court order against him. Perez was arrested on charges of first-degree intentional homicide, hiding a corpse, and stalking. In June 2022, Perez was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to life in prison. As of April 2023, Cassandra Aon has never been found. She was 27 at the time of her disappearance. She was described as a Hispanic female, Five foot four, 185 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Cassandra has several tattoos of roses and a dove and rosary beads um, on her left arm and then roses on her right arm and shoulder blade. Cassandra's black 2015 Chevy Impala has also never been recovered.
1: Oh, boy. All right. Well, let's take a step back for a second here. Evelyn Hartley, 1953. Wow. The true, um, tragedy of this, again, that she was filling in. Her mother must be riddled with guilt that she talked her into it, even though, of course, it wasn't her mother's fault either. Um, but that must be just such a horrific feeling to live with. Um yeah. Also it feels like her parents were very involved with her in her life the fact that they were like call us and check in at a certain point when she didn't dad goes over there to figure it out and my god how how horrific for him too it's 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 awful um couple things yeah uh I, I'm, I'm guessing about the treads on the shoes it, that it was like he likely rode a whizzer motorbike. And I was like, well, I guess if you wore the same shoes every time, then there could be an interesting line on the like where your foot goes on the motorbike, like the oh, pegs. I,
2: assu- I assume it wore down the tread in some very specific way. Yeah.
1: But what I want. Yes. But what I want to say to that is if they went to that level of trouble that they specifically investigated the treads on the shoes and then specifically figured out what kind of motorbike would affect the treads in that way, that's some of the best police work we've ever seen on the show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Without exaggeration. I mean, in the the 1950s, I'm like, geez, you, you guys really went for it. You did your due diligence. So I only bring that up because we often talk about bungled police work on this show yes. and it's important to call it out i think when something is impressive and to me that is yeah. impressive certainly for that time period yeah and also suggests to me man they really were going for it with this which makes it even more kind of unsettling that she was never found that it I know. was never solved because if they were putting that level of effort in you know again we just don't always see it wanted to give a shout out um that's not to say mistakes couldn't have also been made, obviously. Again, sure. they, they plan to do these mass polygraph tests, gave up after 300. But, you know, still, I just call a win where I see a win I had yeah. to Yeah,
2: and I think that's nice. And I think if any of them were potentially alive and hearing this, very random, Yep, I think they'd appreciate
1: it. And I, I appreciate you saying they'd appreciate me. <laughs> I appreciate you appreciating me appreciating you. We're going to end this there. Yeah. Um, God. I'm kidding. Uh, okay. The only other thing I wanted to say, I'm not trying to be too cheeky or glib, but like lacrosse was big in this town. Like the fact that it was like this, these parents were like, we got to go to the lacrosse game. Well, babysitters- lacrosse is the name of the town. Oh.
2: Well, what game are they going to? I can only assume, given it being America, probably football. Oh,
1: so I was sorry. Like, why is lacrosse so popular? I mean, it is Canada's national sport. People think it's hockey. It's actually lacrosse. Yeah, it's not a thing. Anyway, huh? I don't well, collect
2: lacrosse cards. Thank you very oh, much. That's because I've never seen them.
1: <laughs> well, I was just going to say, if they existed, get out of town. Um, oh. Well, never mind about that point. Then I'm yeah. going to guess it was some kind of football game. Fantastic. I, um, I assume, especially when it's college. Oh, even high school in a lot of places in the States, it's massive. That wouldn't yeah. be abnormal. Um, <laughs> you understand my, like, having to take a note about it. I was like, yeah. wow, how popular was this lacrosse game? Anyway. Yes. So sorry. No, nope, that's on me. Yes, Ed Gein, I'm very familiar. Um, mm. I can't remember which horror movie was loosely based, but it was loose. Oh, there's there's a few yeah. that have been after him. Also, Blind Melon's song Skinned was written about him from the no kidding yep yeah, from the Soup album if you it's listen the to first it first CD it's, I ever owned well listen it's quite well if you re-listen to the song now and you'll be like wow yeah that was quite obvious anyway huh. um, <laughs> the other thing I wrote down and I'm not gonna get into this because we can't get too off track but what I wrote yep. down was <laughs> exhumed 30 to 40 bodies to make his wares god I do have to choose cremation don't I <laughs> Which is amazing that you and I talked about it just
2: before the record, which also what a light topic to get into before we start recording the show. Look, we had the realization. We need to say our feelings. We need to know each other's
1: wishes. Yes. Yes.
2: Because then it takes the uh, the onus off the person who's has to make decisions. It would be nice to know. I'll put together
1: a packet. Yeah. yeah. Again, well, and possibly a funeral guest list. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. This one is really, it's so interesting because again, the the poly, no, excuse me, the DNA testing was behind. So the fact that yes. they managed to find so many things in so many places with her blood type on it feels, you know, relevant, Well, we can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt, but still. Um, but with all of that to say, the fact that they found so many things in so many places and never found her chilling, truly chilling. Right? Yeah.
2: I will never understand how, assuming that this was a first time, how'd they pull it off? And like, look. I just, I, oh God, it's And the Ed,
1: the Ed Gein theory, listen, not, I'm not saying that's not possible because I've also talked on this show last week about how serial killers were ch- will change their M.O., but I guess I would need to go a little bit deeper into what his MO was. Cause it just, I don't know. It just doesn't sit with me. Could again, I'm not, who knows, but I don't know. I don't know. It, I, the fact that it was also the person that saw a potential woman in a car with two men also feels like there's something there. Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. Rosalio. Is that how you were saying it? Yes. Rosalio. Um, Okay. This is the big one that's coming off here. First of all, yes, it it seems very evident who did this crime. He was found guilty of this crime. The fact that there was a farm in the family with burn pits, the fact that there was the bleach smell, the fact that the the victim's blood was found in a vehicle tied to that man feels like that's safe to say. Yeah. But I wouldn't be me if I wasn't going to try and point out a detail that won't leave my brain. Of course. You said he's six foot tall and two hundred and seventy pounds. Yeah, this man didn't work alone. No, there's absolutely no way. I I mean I don't know how big or strong Zachariah Anderson was. Perhaps he was a extremely in shape linebacker type, maybe. But regardless, two hundred and seventy pounds. That's a big guy. That's a lot of weight. And as we've mentioned before and it's no surprise to anyone when you're talking about a sack of a, a sack of body I'm not trying to be glib but you know what I mean with with um when someone is gone limp that's a lot of weight to move Yeah so again the fact that we found fa- there was the blood found in Rosalio's apartment the fact that the area rug was gone suggests that there was something that happened the fact that we know that this guy knew his address, had plans. It feels like the crime happened in that apartment. And to that I say, how was that body moved out of that apartment, into that vehicle, into the farm, just physically? And then secondly, without ever getting noticed. Because that's a massive body to be moving. 270 pounds? It's a big guy. Well, I wanted to answer your question.
2: So I uh, did a quick Google on Please. the fly. And uh Zachariah Anderson, six foot one, 200 pounds. Okay. Uh, also, apparently he had three children with the woman that was now dating Rosalio. Um, and that Rosalio and this woman, Sadie, uh, started dating in 2019. And even though Zachariah was in a relationship with somebody else, He put that tracker in Sadie's car to follow her. uh, Oh, God. In in April 2020, he was convicted of possession of over 10 pounds of marijuana. And in May 2020, he uh, accessed driving directions to Rosalio's apartment on his phone.
1: Yeah. Now look, again, guy is 6'1, 200 pounds. That's a solid dude. Do I think that he's very strong? Sure. Do I think it would be easy to to move a body that large by himself? I don't think that would be easy. I just think it would be very difficult not to get noticed. Oh, and look, it sounds it, yeah. like this crime was fairly premeditated. So he may have had a whole yep. plan. But again, even still, it's an apartment building. This body is going to have to get moved past other homes, past people. Yeah. How did that happen? How sure, far into the
2: parking lot did you have to park? How, you know, and is there again, no camera in in that
1: area? At most, he's dragging. There's no way that he's picking up this body like firemen carry. I, no way. I don't buy that. No. He's dragging it best. That's going to make noise. Even if this is the middle of the night, you're in an apartment building, you mean to tell me he woke no one? I don't know. Again, I think there was someone else there. I think oh, if you yeah. have one to two other people, it's going to make that a lot easier. It's going to make it, You, I believe, more that you could do it kind of without being noticed. But just on his own, I don't buy it at all. I'm curious that the police, whether the police looked at it that way or not. And if they ever pursued looking into accomplices, because I just don't buy it. Oh,
2: I think he absolutely had help. I think you're right. I think it's a case of maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. Who knows? I think it was somebody where he was like, hey, get this. The mother of my children is seeing this guy. It's possible he was a racist piece of shit. It's possible he was just a piece of shit who can't handle the thought of, you know, he's controlling and hates the thought of his ex with anybody else. Yeah. So it was like, can you believe this is the guy she's with? They decide, yeah, we're going to take care of it. And they show up together. Yeah. Because you're right, getting that body out on his own is, I mean, it's, the rug was missing, so it's most likely that he hit him and rolled him in a rug and got him out of there, but that's...
1: That's a lot for one person to take.
2: A lot. So
1: and no how is it secured so that it doesn't unravel? Like, there's lots of questions here. I, yeah. It's also amazing that
2: given most likely that he had help, that he hasn't, you know, thrown anybody under the bus. Although I guess that would mean he'd have to admit to having done it
1: well, if if we are to believe that the body was potentially disposed of at the family farm, that would suggest to me that family members of his knew what was going on. not necessarily a hundred percent, but sure. if you're moving a body and burning a body in a fire pit, oh, yeah, and what time would, of day were you setting this fire? How long did that fire take to burn out? I it would, would think have been noticed if there was some family <laughs> at home at the time. Someone's going to have questions. Again, they may not know, but it does start to just build, again, a profile of what family members were there that would be willing to turn a blind eye to that, that then would also be willing to be culpable, involved. Yeah, I agree. Wow. Um, oh, this story about Cassandra is also heartbreaking. Again, you're right. Very similar cases. So interesting. The stalking aspect, the ex aspect, all these things very uh similar um in perp right yeah it's weird that it happened in the like in the same year too same year they also both had incriminating google searches um perez and this one a little bit more so in terms of like how to make a silencer and stuff like that i know but um yeah that's really fascinating very similar kind of things and again, the bottom line being, how sad that in both of these cases, it was men who were being possessive of yep. a woman that they felt that they had some level of ownership over. In one case, it resulted in him taking her life. In the other, it was her new boyfriend. Now, typically, yep. you know, um, sadly, a lot of times in these cases, it is the woman who ends up being the victim. So, uh, again, in the previous case rosalio that's um very tragic too but but the bottom line is is it's still the same story which is a a wronged man who feels so overwhelmed by the fact that a woman is moving on that they are willing to kill which is horrific yeah and especially especially, when kids are involved especially when kids were involved and i was going to say about this and especially when he had been grooming her since she was a child yep ugh my god well listen it's that time let's take one more quick break grab a drink hit the can and we're going to be back with more cases we got 3 more to go so don't go anywhere come right back on this episode of true crime and cocktails Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're of course discussing Missing Wisconsin. As I said before the break, three more cases to go. Christy, lay it on us. I can't wait. So,
2: August thirtieth, twenty twelve, the Social Security Administration contacted the Portage County Sheriff's Office to ask for help in locating Marie Jost, a senior citizen who owned a three-acre property on the 3600 block of Alm Road in Amherst, Wisconsin. The administration said they had been trying to contact Marie for months, but she'd never responded. So the police do a welfare check at Marie's house, where they find Marie's son, Charles Jost, known as Butch. Butch tells them that Marie and her other son, Theodore, left the month before to travel the United States in a motor home because Marie was trying to avoid being put in a nursing home. When people asked for Butch to describe the motor home that Marie and Theodore allegedly left in, he couldn't. And then when police asked if they could look around the property a bit, Charles refused and then asked the police to leave. The property taxes on Marie's home had been paid up until 1990, and her social security checks were still being cashed it should be noted that marie was given special permission to sign her checks with just an x because she was illiterate however no one outside of the immediate family had seen marie or theodore since
1: 1982 whoa
2: A teller at the bank claimed to have seen Marie in 1988, however, it is unsure whether the woman he met was actually Marie or someone pretending to be Marie. According to records, Marie had not used her Medicare benefits since 1980 when she had a stroke. One of Marie's daughters, who was also named Marie, was questioned, and she said she had not seen her mother since the 1980 funeral of Patricia, one of Marie's other daughters. She said she sent her mother a gift for her 100th birthday in October of 2011, and she received a thank you letter in response. The daughter later said it didn't resemble her mother's handwriting. And to that I say... Why would it? It was public knowledge that Marie was illiterate and had to get permission to write an X on the ba- on, as her signature from the bank. So if she couldn't write her own name, how would she have written you a thank you letter? And then how did you not find that suspicious? And also, what do you mean it didn't look like her handwriting? What did her handwriting look like to you? How much did you see her write things? Since Butch had asked the police to leave, they returned with a warrant to search Marie's home. When they arrived, the property was deemed uninhabitable. There was no plumbing or running water, and Butch appeared to be a hoarder. In December 2012, the health department ordered a waste disposal company to clean up the property they removed nearly 15 tons of garbage. But in the house, investigators managed to find $9,000 in cash, as well as bone fragments. Testing on the fragments came back as inconclusive. An excavator was brought in to search the area surrounding the property, but nothing was found. Investigators questioned Marie's daughter, Dolores Disher, who said she last saw her mother in 2011. Dolores soon changed her story to say, well, she actually hadn't seen Marie since 1980 when they all attended Patricia's funeral. Investigators searched Dolores' home and found $8,000 in cash and a scrapbook full of letters signed by Marie and Theodore. The letters were dated between 2006 and 2011. When Dolores' husband, Ronald Disher, was questioned by police, Ronald threatened the officers with a letter opener and was soon arrested. While in jail, Ronald allegedly confessed to another inmate that he and Dolores had killed Marie, and since Marie's disappearance was not public knowledge at the time, investigators believed him, although without a body, neither was ever charged with murder. Investigators believe that Butch, Dolores, and Ronald cashed over $175,000 worth of Marie's Social Security checks over the span of 30 years. All three were charged with theft, mail fraud, forgery, and unauthorized use of an individual's personal document. At the time of the charges, Butch was 66. Dolores was 69, and Ronald was 71. Charges against Dolores were dropped due to her failing health, and charges were dropped against Butch due to a mental disability. Ronald Disher was tried in 2014, but after 10 hours of deliberating, the jury were unable to reach a verdict on the charges of fraud. So while there was a mistrial over the fraud charges, Ronald was convicted of endangering safety using a dangerous weapon and disorderly conduct for threatening the police with a letter opener. He was also charged with theft. He was sentenced to 16 months and paroled in 2015. Dolores disher died of cancer in December 2015 interestingly enough her obituary lists her brother Theodore as a surviving relative but lists her mother Marie as dead because it says she was predeceased by her parents interesting mm-hmm Marie and her son Theodore have not been seen or heard from since approximately 1980. Is it possible they genuinely went traveling together? No. No, I really don't think it's possible at all. Especially since Marie suffered a stroke in 1980. I think it would probably be difficult to get her around on your own. But maybe that's just me. I think it's more than possible that Marie died at home, or Butch simply grew tired of caring for her and killed her. And maybe Theodore found out and threatened to go to the police? The idea that her children continued to cash her social security checks after her disappearance is dark? Marie Jost, whose maiden name was Farrell, was about 70 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was described as a Caucasian female with brown hair. Her son Theodore Jost was about 42 at the time. Not much is known about him other than the fact he was a Caucasian male, six feet tall, and 170 pounds. He wore glasses and spent time in the military in the 1950s. I also am just overwhelmingly sad at the thought of they were gone for 30 years and not even family was like, that's weird.
1: Yeah. Well, it feels like, again, they were all in on it to some level. Like, I mean, look, I know that families, listen, I'm, I'm I know I'm skipping ahead, but like, I know that families are estranged and whatnot. But like, if you were fond enough of your mother to send her a 100th birthday gift, it feels odd to me that you wouldn't have made the effort to see her for 30 years.
2: Or, I mean, speak on the phone. I guess it's, it's more than possible they didn't have a
1: phone. But yeah, just no. But if they didn't have a phone and you again were, you were fond enough to send letters and send gifts. Like 30 years is a long time to be like, oops, haven't seen mom. Like, yeah, just, that's I'd odd. Love t-
2: to know how much contact with the siblings were they. Like, was the other sibling like, Mom's doing great. She wants to say hi. Like, was the other one sending letters that were
1: like, here's what's going on. I wonder. 30 years is just a long time. Like, that's the length of time that people don't see their parents if there is a reason, if there was a rift, if there was. Sure. And in those cases, they're not typically contacting them consistently in that time. Sure. 30 years? It's a, it's a, lo- it's a, large it's chunk a long chunk of time. It's a long time. Even for people who have strained relationships. That's a long time. Yes. Very fishy. And the thought that
2: this would have continued had Social Security not been like, this is weird. Hey, can you go check for us? Yeah. Because otherwise they would have continued cashing those checks. Yep. But I have a feeling Social Security was like, she's 100 now. That's weird. Hope she's doing well. Yeah. But I love that it was them that, uh, I mean, not that it got it solved or anything, because, of course, we have no idea where either of them are or what happened to them. Yeah. So, the next disappearance occurred August 20th, 1999, when 27-year-old Dana Menger dropped her four-year-old daughter off at the babysitter's house in Nakusa, Washington. Wisconsin. I'm so sorry. Why do I keep saying Washington? They aren't even, I mean, there's a W and an N and an S. Okay, I get it, but it's so different. I'll get it eventually, probably not. But Dana, after dropping her daughter off, has not been seen or heard from since. When Dana didn't pick her daughter up, At the scheduled time, the babysitter wasn't initially concerned, as it was common for Dana to leave her child with the babysitter for days at a time. But when there was no word from Dana on August 24th, social services was called and Dana's daughter was taken into custody. In 2000, notices from the Wood County Juvenile Court were published in the Daily Tribune, including an alert that someone had petitioned to terminate Dana's parental rights to her daughter. Since Dana never returned, she lost custody, and her daughter was then adopted by another family out of state. When Dana was last seen in August 1999, she was with her two-year-old son, Dakota Menger, and her friend, 21-year-old Janelle Lee Markwood. Dana and Janelle both had a history of drug abuse— which caused them to be estranged from their families, so much so that despite going missing in 1999, a missing persons report wasn't officially filed for Dana until March of 2004. When Janelle's mother died in 2001, Janelle was listed in the the obituary as a surviving member of the family, even though at that point they had not seen or spoken to her in two years. It is unclear if Janelle's family ever filed. A missing persons report. Dana's house was searched by police, but nothing seemed out of place. Police have since collected DNA samples from Dana's and Janelle's relatives, but have since found no matches. Dana and Janelle both had minor criminal histories. Starting in 1996, Dana had various convictions for misdemeanor battery, drug possession, and forgery. And in 1998, Janelle was convicted of intimidating a witness battery and disorderly conduct. Police don't believe these convictions had anything to do with their disappearances, and foul play is suspected to be a possibility. Police also don't believe that Dana left to start a new life, as it was believed she never would have left her daughter behind for good. It is unsure when the two women became friends. At the time of their disappearance, Dana lived in Nakusa, and Janelle lived about 9 miles or 15 kilometers northeast in Wisconsin Rapids. Is it possible that Janelle's criminal history began because of this friendship with Dana? Is that possibly how they met? Is it possible they were secretly a couple? We don't know. There has been no sign of Dana, Dakota, or Janelle since August 1999. There was no description of the vehicle they were last seen driving. And no one was told where they might be headed. It also seems odd to me if she was taking off somewhere, why she would take one child and not the other. Yeah, that's an odd thing. So I don't think she left planning to purposely be up and gone. Dana Menger was described as a Caucasian female, 5 foot 8, 150 pounds with strawberry blonde hair and blue eyes. Dana also has tattoos of a cross on her left shoulder and right index finger. Dakota, who was two at the time, was described as a Caucasian male with brown hair and hazel eyes. Janelle Marquardt was described as a Caucasian female, six foot one, 165 pounds, with brown hair and hazel eyes. And our final case of the day, August 21st, 2009. Rose Marie Bly told her husband, Christopher Larson, that she was going to karaoke with her cousin at a bar in Cushing, Wisconsin. Earlier in the day, Rose and Christopher bought new cell phones at the mall before stopping to pick up dinner at a fast food restaurant. Around 7.30 p.m., Rose left in her white 2001 Pontiac Grand Am. According to the FBI, Cushing was approximately five miles or eight kilometers north Of Rose's home in St. Croix Falls. Around 9 p.m., Rose called Christopher to say that she would be home around midnight. But as of April 2023, Rose Bly has not been seen or heard from since. When Christopher woke up the next day, he realized his wife never made it home. He immediately called her friends and family to see if they had heard from her, and he started searching for her on his own, as he was under the impression he needed to wait 24 hours before reporting her missing. Christopher officially reported Rose missing the evening of August 22nd. When Christopher spoke with Rose's cousin, the cousin revealed she had not made plans to meet Rose that night, and she didn't see her. Five days after Rose's disappearance, her car was found in a parking lot in Grantsburg, Wisconsin, about 30 miles or 48 kilometers from her home. The lot was often used by truck drivers when they wanted a place to pull off the road for the night. No witnesses reported seeing Rose or the car arrive at the lot. All fingerprints found inside Rose's car matched either Rose or her immediate family member's. Unidentified DNA was found in the vehicle, it was what run through CODIS, but no match was ever found. Some have suggested that Rose lied about meeting her cousin to cover up running off with another man. Many have disputed this idea, though, as Rose had two daughters under the age of two, and family and friends believe Rose would never have willingly left her children behind. Rose also left behind her dog, her laptop, clothes, money. Maybe she did go meet someone and that person turned on her. Maybe the plan was just to be gone for a few hours and something went wrong. The person she met wasn't who she thought they were, something along those lines. Rose Bly was just 21 at the time of her disappearance. She was described as a Caucasian female, five feet tall, 110 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. She has a tattoo of two cherries on her right ankle and her ears and navel are pierced. Rose's case had a resurgence in the media in June 2021 when Rose's niece went missing in Tennessee. Summer Wells, the daughter of Rose's older sister Candace Wells, was last seen at her home in Rogersville, Tennessee on June 15, 2021. Summer's older brothers said they last saw Summer go into the basement to play, but as of April 2023, Summer has not been seen since. Earlier in that day, Summer went swimming at a local creek with her mother, Candice, and her grandmother, Candy. When they got home, all three of them planted flowers before Summer asked if she could go inside to play with her brothers. Candace walked Summer from the RV where Candy was living on their property to the house where the boys were. Candace said she got close enough to the house that she could see the three boys, aged seven, nine, and 12, inside watching YouTube videos. Candace returned to the RV as Summer walked through the front door of the house. A few minutes later, Candace returned to the house to check on the children when she realized Summer was missing. Summer was officially reported missing at 6.30 p.m., and an Amber Alert was sent to cell phones in the Tri-Cities region. Sniffer dogs were brought in who followed Summer's scent for a short distance before losing it near a road. Two days after Summer's disappearance, the sheriff's department admitted they were having trouble communicating on their radios and cell phones while they were in the field. The extreme terrain around the area made it difficult to find volunteers to help with the initial search, By June 22nd, police had received over 200 leads, and the investigation involved 72 agencies from six different states. In October 2020, Candace filed a protective order against her husband, Don Wells, saying she feared for her life and the lives of her children. Two months before Summer disappeared, Don was arrested for possession of a handgun while intoxicated. Investigators have done over 170 formal interviews on the case so far and seem to have cleared Summer's parents and grandmother. A red pickup truck was seen near the house at the time of Summer's disappearance. So is it possible that someone saw them swimming at the creek, followed them home, and then just waited outside until they believed Summer was alone? This would mean a kidnapper would get in and... And out of that house without the three boys seeing, is it possible? Is there a door in the basement that leads outside? It's more than possible. Summer could have left on her own or an abductor could have accessed the home through that door without anyone noticing. Summer Wells was just five at the time of her disappearance. She was described as a Caucasian female, about three feet tall, 40 pounds with blonde hair and blue eyes. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough.
1: Oh, wow. So many things. Um, again, going back to Theodore and Mary Jost, I was like, are they related to Colin Jost? I just don't feel like Jost is that common a name, I but maybe, think I'm so either. Yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm um, wrong. This one is just fascinating to me, as I mentioned before, because again, it's just like uh, children, adult children. Accepting not seeing their mother or their brother for thirty years is a red flag to me. When they had enough of a nice relationship that we've seen again, the police found the pile of letters. Like, you know what I mean? It's just thirty years is so long. If if you're on good good enough terms that you wouldn't in ten years, I I don't think it would be bumping me so hard but 30 years it makes me feel like everybody knew about this in the family oh i also want to know like the
2: when it comes to not the ones who lived uh close enough and actually got charged with things but for the sibling sibling who lived further away did did she have any children did they yeah never meet this woman
1: it's just odd Again, if there had been a falling out, that's a different story. Again, if it was 10 years, I don't think it would bump me. But 30, I'm just like, you really believed that everything, like you never wanted to see her in that amount of time. You believed that everything was fine. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, to me, that's like a huge red flag. And my question is, because great call regarding the daughter being like, oh, this card she sent back wasn't her handwriting, but we already had established she was illiterate. But my question is, When in the timeline was it established that she was illiterate? Like, are we believing that she was illiterate? Or is that just something that was, like, put upon her by some controlling person in her life?
2: More than possible. It's also possible she was illiterate for decades and that one daughter didn't know and thought she was receiving letters... Written by her mother.
1: That whole time, that were actually written by someone else.
2: Could have been. But I yeah. also don't understand how she would turn around and say it didn't look like her writing.
1: It just feels to me, go with me, I'm building a profile. Of course. It just feels to me like, is it possible? Because we know that that she has these other children that were more than happy to cash her checks when she was absolutely not around. Yes. So. Is it possible that one or some of them were like, Mom, you know, you had this stroke, you're ailing, or or even before then, like, um, we need to go into the bank and tell them that you're illiterate or whatever. Or even maybe it was even before then. Was it was it before the kids were born? Was it with the kid's father? Like, is it possible that she wasn't illiterate? But that was just, again, something that was put upon her. So that then it is possible she was writing these letters. But to that I say, show us the letters. Agreed. And then show us handwriting samples from all these other people.
2: Oh, I agree. And let's go. Agree.
1: It's just very strange. It's very sad also. It feels very much like... Yeah, it feels very much like she was killed and... Theodore was killed and it was just hidden. And if they were on that large amount of land that had that much trash and junk and all of the above, who knows? Who knows what could have happened to the bodies potentially. Also very sad that her other daughter Patricia had died in 1980 the same year she had a stroke, which makes me feel like she had gone through something quite intense. Obviously then also having that kind of uh, health issue. I don't know. And then no one saw them since 1982. And even then, some of them were saying, oh, we didn't see her since the funeral, since Patricia's funeral in 1980. Well, yeah,
2: and my question
1: is, what happened to Patricia? Great question.
2: Is it possible that
1: a sibling
2: did this? And Marie or Theodore figured it out and they had to be silenced. I mean, that's possible.
1: Totally. Yeah, that is a really confounding one. And when you have three people who are cashing in the checks, there was really no sort of uh, impetus to come clean with any information in that amount of time. Oh, no. And it doesn't feel like it could have possibly been that much money. Like split three ways. How much is a social security check even going to be? If this woman was illiterate, then how much money was she putting? You know what I'm saying? Like it's like it's it just feels like it's so sad over like what could potentially be a small amount of money. I mean, it is
2: also possible that she, you know, died naturally. And they were like, well, if we tell somebody. Not only are we going to have to pay for a funeral, but our money is going to stop coming in. And then they went like, okay, maybe we don't say anything. But the idea that Theodore also died, to me, means either she died and they were like, we're not going to tell anybody. And Theodore was like, I am not comfortable with that. Yeah. Or she was doing fine and someone killed her. Yeah. Strangled her pillow something. And we're like, well, here you go. And then, again, Theodore is like, something's not right. We have to go to the police. We have to, you know,
1: call a hospital. We have to do something. And they were like,
2: okay, you're going to be a problem.
1: Yeah. It also feels possible it could be in the moment. You know, they find the body. She's dead. The conversation happens where it's like, hey, if we don't alert anyone, we could still keep getting that money. He's yep. like, Are you insane? Absolutely not. And the heat of the moment. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, this could absolutely
2: be something that wasn't planned because I don't know what the others did for work. Right. Maybe they were just living off her money, and we're like, Well, we can't lose that money.
1: Again, I would love to know how much money it was, but. It doesn't really matter.
2: What said? Um, It's estimated over the thirty years they got one hundred and seventy-five thousand
1: over thirty years. Yeah, let's take a look. One seventy-five divided by thirty, so that's fifty-eight hundred a year divided three ways. Yeah, so less than two thousand a year per person. I hope it was worth potentially killing your mother. (laughs) Like that just doesn't seem like brother. Yeah, yeah. If I mean, listen, I'm never justifying any murder, but when you think about the life insurance things and whatnots and and people getting millions, it's like, well, there seems to be a context. But when it's like, yeah, let's keep cashing in so that each of us can clear $500 a month. Oh, yeah. Part of me is convinced
2: that it was the son who lived with her. I don't know where Theodore lived at the time, but I think it was the son who lived with her. I think it's possible he went in one morning and found her dead and freaked out and didn't know what to do and just kind of kept going about his day. And then a social security check comes in and he goes, okay, and just kind of keeps going. And then the sister found out and then was like, well, if you're going to keep this going, you have to pay the property taxes, and you have to do this, and you have to do this so that people don't get suspicious. Right. And then I think the brother found out and wasn't as accepting
1: as the sister was. I checked my math. It would have been $162 a month per person, not $500. I was being too generous. Yeah. No, I – yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just no other – it just feels like there's no other story. It just feels like it has to be connected to that house and the rest of the family in some way. Oh yeah, there is no chance,
2: no chance that Theodore and Marie were like, you know what, let's go see America. Yeah. Get in the RV, no chance.
3: No.
1: Um. All right, Uh, Janelle, Dana and Dakota. This one's wild yeah because it's it's like wh- where what why where were they going what's the motive like and the other thing and you know that I'm obsessed with the the size of these people in all of these cases but Chanel being six foot one that bumps me too because again it's it's a tall enough woman that it turns heads you know what I'm saying like yeah which when thinking about these things in terms it's like that's not I'm not suggesting that a six-foot-one woman couldn't get kidnapped or whatever. I'm not saying that, but it's more just that I think it's it's additional – there's an additional layer when if you're seen in person with that person, they're going to yeah. stand out. Yeah. So it's weird that
2: it seems like they never got any information.
1: That's what I mean. Like, you know? without a trace, it's like – I don't know. I just I – just, the really tall people that I've met in my life, not even – Crazy tall, but the, the the just very tall within, you know, a range. Sure. People stop you on the street. I know women that are 6'1", 6'2", and people are everywhere. Wow, you're tall. I mean, my God, what an annoying existence, I'm sure. Sure. But again, it's like, yeah, the fact that they had such a distinguishing feature on her, and there was just nothing with Gone Without a Trace, it just feels like, again, it's like, well, then something happened very swiftly and then that it was it like it just just feels like it also just feels like anytime multiple people go missing at the same time and there's absolutely essentially no clues it's like where do you even begin they don't know where they were going they don't know if they were in a vehicle or what the vehicle was yeah i mean that's confounding and then
2: the fact that they had four five years that they were gone before police were told they were gone including a child. Yeah.
1: So Even at if a child.
2: Who's going to remember? Yeah. Hey, 5 years ago, did you happen to see a tall woman? Exactly. Then like yeah. at that point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very sad. And then of course, Rose Bly This is this is very interesting. The fact that she had made these plans and then don't, doesn't come home. The fact that the cousin was like, we never had those plans. It definitely feels like, well, I mean, it's a fact. The cousin said that she said that she had plans with her cousin. Her cousin saying we never had those plans. So she lied. Right. That's just, that's not, there's no, ju- I'm not showing any judgment towards that. I'm just saying that's a fact based on this testimony, right? Right. So then you have to think. What was Christopher's alibi? Her husband. Sure. Was the alibi that he was at home asleep? Because that's tough.
2: Yeah. Especially one thing that stands out to me as a mother. Please. (laughs) Twice in one episode. Um, They had two children under the age of two. Yeah. Assuming... I don't know for sure, but assuming he was in charge of the children while she was gone, the odds of him sleeping through that night entirely? Because he said he woke up the next morning and discovered she was gone. And I'm like, really? Overnight? Both of those kids let you sleep all night? I mean, some kids can be excellent sleepers, but... Usually, children, especially if there's someone under the age of one, they're going to have you up at least once or multiple times in the night, which means he would have been up multiple times after
1: midnight to notice she wasn't there. Right. And I guess what I'm thinking, too, is who saw her last? Was she seen out anywhere? Because... Then it becomes that that yes, do I think she just ran off? No. Is it possible? Sure. In the grand scheme of anything, it's possible she has this. Sure. You know, two kids under 2, it's very stressful. She's like, "I need I've made a misstep. I can't get out of this. I'm running away." That's possible. Sure. Um what are the other possibilities? The other possibility is she was lying saying she was going out with her cousin when she was actually going to meet someone else. Sure. You you would hope that that person would come forward if for no other reason than to exonerate themselves. True. um, I mean, there is also
2: the wild potential possibility that she did meet with the cousin, and something happened while they were out, and the cousin was like, "No, didn't see her." I need to believe that they would have checked cell phone records or something for her to be like, "You can check." There was no text or call between us about meeting up,
1: right? But we even if they seen had out together, or whatever, someone would have seen them. Right? There would have to be someone that had seen her. The only thing that's that's tough is like, if you're trying to disappear and run off, then you're trying to make it so you're not being seen. If right. you're trying to meet with someone when you've been you've lied about where you're going to be, you're also going to try not to be seen. Very true. So, I don't know. I mean, again, it could be, yeah, she met up with someone and something went wrong and whoever that person was that she knew to whatever level, that's the person that potentially did something. Yeah. Or, again, she's run away and started a new life. I think that's a lot harder to pull off than than it would appear. So do I think that's likely? Uh, no. Do I think it's possible? Yes. Um, but then the other the other thing, again… To your point, he would have been up in that night. There's, It's rare for two children or two to sleep through the night completely. Is it possible she came home later than she said she was going to? Where were you actually? They get into an argument and something happened there. It's
2: possible. Like a, you weren't home. I tried contacting you. I then tried contacting your cousin. Because I also find it interesting... What are the odds this all happened on the day they both got brand new cell phones?
1: Yeah. Because
2: that's also weird to me. That is weird. It's just what are the odds that the very day, like just hours later, after both getting new cell phones,
1: that she goes missing? Writing a story. Right? I'm writing a story real quick. Yeah. What do you do when you get a new cell phone with your partner? One of the things you could do is turn on your tracking for each other. Sure. Cuz this was 2009. 2009. Well, maybe they we weren't we didn't have that on phones then, did we? I don't remember when that started. It wasn't I don't know if it was as easy as it is now. Sure. But, yeah, what I was going to say is, is it possible when she wasn't home, he checked where her phone was, he piled those kids in the car, or he left them at home, went and found her, and found her doing something she shouldn't have been doing in his eyes. It's possible.
2: I mean, it's also possible she met up with someone, went to go home, and ran into somebody else on the way home. Yeah. It's possible it has nothing to do with whoever she met up, and if that's true. Yep.
1: Say so. Yeah. It's just the fact that there's been no witnesses putting her anywhere. Yep. Because. Then it also feels like, did she even make it out for the night? Oh Okay. I don't know. I mean, again, it just feels like there's. It just feels exceptionally odd that in 2009, when we have security cameras and all those kinds of things at places, it just feels very odd that there was absolutely no sign of her Hmm. other than her contacting him at some point, potentially, to say when she was coming home.
2: I also have the question, which I don't have an answer to, and I don't know if Police do, I need to believe that they do. Not that they're listening to this and they're going to let us know. But they said the only prints found in her car belonged to her and her immediate family. Right. My question is, where was the position of the driver's seat? Right. She was five feet tall. Great question. How tall were all the immediate family members? Where was the seat? How far back was it? Is it possible she did not drive the car there
1: and leave it there? Yeah, check that seat and check those mirrors. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Good detective work. Listen, yeah. um, again, confounding, but that is the name of the game, unfortunately, with missing persons cases. And it's been a wild ride And a fantastically researched ride. As always, Christy Oxborough, you never cease to amaze, impress, entertain, and horrify. (laughs) I'm just going to take, I'm just going to be flattered
2: with that. Yeah. And I'm going to say one time to prove that I can, Wisconsin.
1: (laughs) Just a boob. No, listen. But you're our boob, and we love hey. you. And um, thank you, dear listeners, for coming with us on this journey. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails. On Twitter at Not Detectives. If you'd like some bonus content, a little bit more of these two chuckleheads, go over to Patreon.com/slash True Crime and Cocktails to learn about our subscription-based service over there. And of course, the only place for official True Crime and Cocktails merch is of course TrueCrewMerch.com. So check that out as well if you haven't already. Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode? On the next True Crime and Cocktails, Heaven's Gate. That's right. We're going down another cult road, dear listeners. So check that out for sure. And uh, that is, of course, our March patrons poll over on Patreon. You can vote for episodes that we cover on this feed of the show. So again, check that out if you're interested And uh, I look forward to you diving into that world because what a true, bizarre story it is. Uh, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Goodnight, Blind Melon. Oh, goodnight, Shannon Hoon.
3: to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.